never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that thinks too many headbutts will get you a human centipede. Woo. <laughs> Tighten up that grain oh, patch. Wow. Show number six, recorded April eighth, twenty twelve, starts now. <laughs> Hiya, oh, headbutts and human centipedes. Huh? I never told you how much so I love that, that, that movie, but it. I appreciate you bringing that up. That's wonderful. Okay. Well, you know, I accidentally forgot to redact our show notes to hide my intro from everyone else. So, so I had to switch it up on you, Bass. That's right. And that's <laughs> right. There was a ninja in you. Okay. Oh, we got a jam-packed show tonight. Uh, our discussion topic is outdoor versus indoor training, literally. And we have an interview with Aaron Fields, a practitioner of Japanese martial arts, a high-level sambo player, and a firefighter. We also have news, and this week's media mop-up goes all the way to South America. And as a special bonus for all you uh, martial arts rogues out there, we have a guest rogue in the studio. His name is Douglas Hutchinson. He's an old friend, professional writer, and a Northern Shaolin brother. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. You're supposed to say hi-ya. Hi-ya! hi <laughs> <laughs> There we go. <laughs> we'll learn you yet. <laughs> so, uh... Doug, well, let's just take a minute or two before we get into the meat of the podcast here. Why don't you uh, describe to the folks out in listener land how it is you came to know us freaks? <laughs> well, uh, it starts back when I was a Doctor Who fan and Doctor Who went off the air in George and PBS and I was looking for some other thing on television to be a nerd about. And I know it sounds shameful now, but for some reason it became Kung Fu The Legend Continues. And <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I was into Buddhism and so forth, and I went off to college at the University of Georgia about 1993, and uh, there in Russell Hall I encountered some flyers with dragons and yin-yang and all this good stuff, and I said, oh, this looks interesting, and it said Kung Fu and Tai Chi, and I said, hey, that's what that dude on the show does. So I called up this guy, and it turned out to be Craig Kiesling here. And, uh, you know, I was in awe. And I still am, as we all are. Yeah. And, uh, but the funny thing was, at the time, uh, as I said, I was I was practicing very strictly as Buddhist, uh, with all the knowledge of Buddhism that one could acquire in Baxley, Georgia, which wasn't much. But um, I was trying to live by the precepts, you know, and having meditation, and then I didn't drink or anything. You know, I was vegetarian, all this stuff. And of course, one of the first thing Craig does is haul me off to a keg party and out in the woods, and we fought all night. And you know, it was good times like that, actually. Indeed. Um, so yeah, well, well, I started training with Craig, and then uh, I, I understand, because my memory's a bit blurry from all the alcohol, but that at some point I was walking across campus as yeah, well, I let was me, Let me interject do. here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, no. I had been living in Georgia for about three months and going to University of Georgia nights, and I would go in the afternoons to do my homework after work, you know, before I had to go to class and, you know, watch the girls go by and whatever else there was out there. And, uh, I, you know, I was thinking, man, I got to get back into Kung Fu out here somewhere. <clears throat> but there was nothing in the phone book at that time. There was, you know, no publicly available Kung Fu classes. And suddenly, what do I spy with my little eye? <laughs> but this uh, little red-faced fellow in a frog button outfit, <laughs> dressed up Kung Fu to the nines, white collars turned up, <clears throat> uh, sauntering across campus. And I'm like, well... 
shit. <laughs> I guess if there's any kung fu around here, this would be the guy to ask. <laughs> either that or a damn good costume party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. A little bit of both. Either way, it was going to be a fun answer, I figured. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how I met Craig is through Doug. Indeed. <laughs> None of this would have happened without him. That's right. The world might have been I'm a better place, the, too. The, <laughs> the cheese that holds the sandwich of this particular martial arts love together. Oh, well, the cheese right. stands yeah. alone, sir. That's right. <laughs> Only when I'm drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then many adventures followed that, of course. Uh, lots of stories that probably aren't best to share with the public at this point. <laughs> Some involved a fellow named Mr. Wong. Oh, no. You're not supposed to speak of him or else the ninjas show up. So. That's right. Right. Um, but there was Three Speed and there was uh, <laughs> yeah. Flaming Dr. Peppers. And, uh-huh. Oh, indeed. Yeah. I tell you what, why don't, we, uh, why don't we go ahead and slip one of these little stories out? Because there's no one we're really going to name or incriminate with <laughs> That's it. That's right. Uh, after one of those Except Flaming Dr. Pepper evenings, we all got it in our oh. heads that we were going to brawl our way completely mm. across the University <laughs> of Georgia North Campus. And we proceeded to do that, you know, running, jumping, two on one, one on two, one guy running, <laughs> two people chasing. <laughs> And it was getting pretty brutal, and we literally covered about half a campus just running and fighting. And suddenly we spilled over some hedges into the garden club, kathump, smash. (laughs) And what did we land on? Ah, but the Baptist Student Union having a little meeting at... Must have been what three o'clock in the morning. They were having a sleep out. Yeah, yeah they're all sleep out. I guess they call it. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they were all in their bags and everything, and looked like they were having a, a great Jesus-filled time. And uh, again, my memory's a little blurry on this one, but apparently, I dropped down into Lotus style and proceeded to lecture them on the wonders of Buddha. While Craig and I continued to fight ruthlessly behind them, <laughs> we were bloodied up and everything. Yeah, there was literally. <laughs> Literally, Craig had a brand new pair of jeans on when we went out that night, and the next day, well, the next late in the next yeah. afternoon, I went over to his house to see how he was doing, and he had those blue jeans pinned to his wall because <laughs> the knees were completely ripped out of them. There was blood all over them. Yep. They, they lasted exactly one Bloody night. Bloody blue nice. jeans on the wall. Right. Nice. It turned into an art piece. It was, it was nice. a drunken I'm, night miracle. I'm, I'm sure those Baptists mm. had stories to tell their grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> And I bet if one of them happened to end up uh, training martial arts later and is one of our listeners, they probably have a completely different version of the story. They probably do. <laughs> like, Dude, I mean, we were just like sitting there praying and stuff, you know, because I mean, it was like we were like, you know, in the spirit or whatever. And like next thing we know, we get bowled over by these like crazy godless uh, uh, heathens that just just barbarians beating each other (laughs) they're not philistines they're ninjas (laughs) well all right folks that's uh that's gonna be your special easter sunday content because that's when we're recording the show (laughs) it is happy easter and we're of course gonna share more stories and swap more paint with uh doug as the show proceeds but uh right now we're gonna take a really short break and set ourselves up for the discussion topic
Okay, folks, we're back. Uh, our discussion topic for today is training inside versus outside. Now, this is not the indoor and outdoor thing we <laughs> mentioned in an earlier episode. We'll get around to that eventually. We're just simply talking about being outside under the stars, on the grass, in a field, or inside. Basketball court. In a facility that you uh, pay the rent on and keep the lights on for. <clears throat> and some of the pros and cons of each. And we're going to keep this kind of light and fairly brief because my psychic abilities are telling me that we have a really hot interview coming up. So I don't want to waste <laughs> too much time getting to it. Um, so let's let's just dive right in here. Um, I'm going to list off uh, some of the benefits of training indoors. And you guys can tell me what you think about this or throw your own in. Uh, you got climate control, which we live in Georgia, so. Oh, yeah, that's a big thing here. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, hot. It's hot in here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's getting hot in here, but Craig, don't you dare take off all your clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it works the other way around, too. Like, now that I've been living in Michigan a while, oh, it's yeah, wonderful it's- when you've got good spring even summer weather to go outside and train last what three weeks up there yeah you've got most of the year which is very very cold including snow and ice at times and it's already left me looking for a place inside which i think we were thinking of mentioning you know maybe finding free places to use if you're on your own yeah yeah we'll get around to that in a minute let's Mm -hmm. just run down you know let's let's lay the groundwork here for or or like in vancouver actually where you've got three months from like say the end of June to the end of September, and then it rains and it's forty degrees for the rest of right, the year. Right. <laughs> We're actually kind of blessed here in Georgia because it gets cold in the winter, but it rarely dips below freezing, and it gets hot in the summer. But you know, it's we rarely see hundred plus temperatures. We're we're actually kind of weak here. But moving along. <laughs> Uh, you got surface manipulation. You can have mats. You can have, you know, sprung floors. You can have all kinds of neat things that help training. Uh, you got changing rooms. You got bathrooms. You got decoration. You can put your altar or whatever up and leave it there. Your Bruce Lee posters on the wall. Whatever it is that works for your school, you know. Um, uh, it it definitely, here's a big one. It definitely gives you the appearance of professionality when you have a, a facility and a shingle up. Like, remember the early days of the internet, people would not use online banks because they're like, well, that's not a real thing. I Where's can go to the bank and it's made yeah, out of right. brick. And then, you know, even though their money technically probably wasn't sitting in a vault in there. <laughs> all the they time they, yeah. they, they can 10%. still convince themselves yeah it's not like we was, put man. your dollars in a box and say these are dave's dollar but anyway uh uh there's all kinds of other amenities weight rooms you know mirrors on the walls some people like to train with mirrors you got storage so you don't have to lug your pads and and good god your heavy bags and whatever else around weapons, with you. All which weapons can look all. funny going down the street well <laughs> not only that you can draw the attention of the laws i think we're all familiar oh, with yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's just student retention. I mean, if you're, if you're having to keep the lights on on a training hall, you're going to probably you're going to make somebody sign a contract to train there. Oh, well, yeah. Too, there's, there's just a certain, there's a certain personality type that needs to see some of these other things that will, the, right. the, the decorations and the, that they kind of need the the, the it fits their the, expectations the, exactly. They yes. they kind of need the fantasy extension. If well, you it's will. it's right. also that's one of the points I think is, is a pro for that is the uh, not just student retention but student attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting into the mindset of what you're doing. You know, granted, is a hell of a lot easier when you have all that 
cultural or whatever trappings surrounded by you because you can you know constantly look be inspired get in the groove so to yeah, speak yeah so it kind of reminds you why you're doing it because you came in with this idea and true there it is it's like i'm in the right place and then you also have you know a lot of people out there who run commercial schools um know that a lot of times the 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 big money uh is comes from kids classes and yep. and you can't you can't really you really can't do, do kids classes <laughs> outdoors <laughs> yep um, you know, maybe you take them outside on a beautiful day, but uh, parents do not want their kids outside in the rain or the snow or the sleet. <laughs> True, indeed. But it, it also offers up other, uh, I guess, you know, kind of capital gains in that you have a built-in place for seminars and workshops. You don't have to go source them out, you know. It's, um, yep. it's, it, it, it's right there for you. Um, and I, I think that's obviously a, a good thing. Go ahead. One other benefit, this sort of relates to climate, but more generally environment, if anyone suffers from allergies or hay fever, mm, good point. it's a big plus to be inside, especially at certain times of the year. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know a lot of us have a touch of that here, mm-hmm. but some people are virtually crippled by right. it. So oh, yeah. it's just not that good of an option. Oh, though. dude, yeah, like I hate this time of the year. <laughs> like this this particular time, of the, the trees all have sex and they try to kill me while they're <laughs> yeah. doing it. I swear to God. Nature is very profligate with its sex though. oh yeah <laughs> yeah right now is your car and everything around you is covered in plant if sperm. you're not in the southeast yeah. you don't know there's all the cars in the southeast are painted yellow at this yes. time of year yep. green you know. actually but and it, one last thing I, i'd say or actually two points is that you have uh, a better ability to have walk-in traffic you know your mom and um the a child and his mother or whatever is just walking around going shopping and they see this martial arts Yeah, school. you're usually going to be in a, an accessible location like a strip mm-hmm. mall or a shopping center or something of that sort. And that they're, like you said, accessibility. You know, if you don't have a car or for whatever reason you're on, we have here a, what's called MARTA, but a public transit. Usually these places are going to be much more accessible. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just jump straight over to what some of the potential drawbacks of indoor training halls are. Yeah. Uh, you got the overhead. You better be damn Money. sure that you can, yeah, that you can support a large student body and attract them before you even jump in there because, and you see a lot of, you know, you see a lot of schools appear and then disappear, disappear. just about as quick. You know, they struggle through to the end of their first lease and they realize it's just not working and they're gone. Um, insurance and all that stuff um a certain amount of inflexibility can come with that too because uh you know you're going to make your space dedicated and purpose-built to the extent that you can so you know you said it's a good place for seminars that may be the case but if somebody comes it has to do a seminar that has completely different requirements Mm. like more space or a different kind of flooring or something you may not be able to accommodate them Definitely. Uh, it can also, you know, unless you're rich and can get a big space or lucky and can get a big space, you know, if you do a style that practices with uh, absurdly large weapons or spears, halberds, uh, yeah. whatever, you. Oh, a bagua dow. Yeah. You can, I've, <laughs> I've broken a few fluorescent light bars with those things. Before. Oh, me too. Uh, <laughs> or if, um, like with the Japanese art, sometimes they have those chain, you know, or the Chinese even. Yeah. You know, and that's not, uh, not exactly a small weapon. You know? No. Like, <laughs> so you know it can it can crimp you on that but uh you know that's not not huge drawbacks on that side <clears throat> no it's not it's not huge drawbacks the the one major thing that that personally you and i can uh, can agree with is is the first thing we mentioned 
um, which is the overhead, not just for running the school, but starting it. You know, we've both been been teaching for quite a while now and jumping into a commercial school. Perhaps we love that ability, um, at least have that choice. But yeah. right now, it's just not fiscally feasible. Because yeah. not only do you have the space, but you've got that you have to that, you know, that costs money and costs more depending on how much of it you need. And then, but there's also, you know, the insurance, the electricity, just keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. The power bills. You know. There's lot fees. There's all sorts yeah. of little hidden expenses oh, the in there. Absolutely. I mean, I've looked into it, and uh, believe absolutely. me. Turning an empty space into an actual school, I mean, paying for all the carpet right. and paying the for all out. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Or, or I mean, more expensive types of flooring if you're doing an art that has a lot of throwing in true. it. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah, it's a lot of upfront. So, you know, it's a. Certain kind of person and/or a certain kind of style that knows it already has a built-in broad-based appeal. I mean, is going to find if you made the wrong choice that. on location when you bought the place and you realize it a month in, too bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah. com- coming from the perspective of somebody who's built a couple of recording studios, for example, yeah, um, I, that's that's the the biggest part of uh, what has killed every one of those. In fact, in the end, was just that. The overhead over over time was just just nightmarish. Yeah, nightmarish, and a lot of that was just simply the space. Well, luckily for us, or people like us, <laughs> there's also the great outdoors. Now, what, what would some of the benefits of outdoor training be? You got low to no overhead expense right off the top there. Bingo. Uh, and you know that's that's great because smaller styles can. Uh, you know, without the name recognition, you know, I've been doing Bagua for I don't know, close to 15 years now, I think. And my mother still thinks I do Tai Chi. Or karate. <laughs> I mean, some people just will not hear about oh, yeah. a new thing ever. Mm-hmm. And even if they hear about it, it won't stick. So it's, you know, that's a very long road to hoe. And frankly, if you want to teach, there's going to be a few people that know what you're about. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can still teach. You don't have to wait until you can get the, the martial arts palace with the sauna and the, you know, exactly. to, to, to do your thing. Especially because in, in certain parts of the country, this one perhaps might be one of them. Where you, mm-hmm. Bagua, what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> Barguar. <laughs> oh, this no, is... what, none of that. <laughs> Ain't that Spanish for water or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other things that some traditional martial artists appreciate, connection with the seasons, you know. Um, you the get fresh very, air. Yeah, yeah. you get mm-hmm. out there in the fresh air. You, uh, you see the seasons come and go, and your body acclimates to them. Which, you know, I know I, because I've trained outside for such a large chunk of my life, I do a lot better with heat and cold than a lot of my friends oh, yeah. do. They're like, oh, God, it's too cold. I mean, my wife, I love her to death, but she's <laughs> oh, from California boy. where it was, you know, 70 and sunny virtually every day and mm. then, you know, sweatshirt weather at night. Right. So if it goes below 55 degrees, it's freezing. Right. If it goes above 75 degrees, it's too stinking hot for her, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've I've got a much broader range, and I think part of it is just because Training I'm outdoors. used to being outdoors, you know? Yeah. Uh, what else we got here? Yeah, um, I mean, and that, that also um, is kind of a, a bit of training in its own right. That's how, I mean, both of you guys remember you, days in UGA where, you know, some of the hottest days in summer, and we would be out doors for hours doing hardcore Mm. physical training and you go and hide in the shade and i'll drag your ass back out 
because it has nothing to do with, you know, uh, yeah, you got heat exhaustion and all this other stuff you need to worry about on a personal basis, but yeah, you never pushing past, you, have you know, your limits. No. You know, your yeah, dad yeah. used to sneak out and bring us Kool-Aid at the break. Yeah, I found that out after he died, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> Love him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, heat exhaustion does kill people. Yeah. So you got to be careful. People using heat exhaustion. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, heat exhaustion does kill people. It, that, that's yeah. been a big news item recently. Actually, actually it's the, mainly the, stupidity. If you don't come out prepared, then it's your own stupidity. But, but, but like the Georgia High School Association, for right. example, they've they've devised new rules for acclimation to the heat for because kids high were dying in summer practices. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So. And they've got salt tablets and water, and you know sometimes the coach wouldn't let him add it quick enough. But you know it's. Yeah, I mean, if you're living in the old days when you can toughen people up to a certain degree by disregarding, you know, well, the ones that aren't tough enough will fall off. and mm. you know. <laughs> uh, But we don't live in that world anymore. I mean, it doesn't get desert hot here in the state of Georgia, but one thing that it does get is humid, humid yeah. like, a, like balls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Exactly, exactly like that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I gross people out at the end of class sometimes. I'll whip off my shirt and wring it out and leave a puddle you could swim in. You know? <laughs> well, you are the guy who sweats a lot. I am the guy who sweats a lot. Tiger said so. Uh, let's see. What else we got here? Um, you got free advertising. Yeah. You're out there doing it. Anybody can walk past and see you. You know, it's not maybe not quite as good as being in your own facility at a strip mall or something, but we, you get lots of people that come up and say, hey, what are you doing? You know? Because where you're practicing outdoors and stuff is where other people are going to be enjoying the nice weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you got plenty of room for any damn thing you want to do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You want to do like uh, the circuit drills we used to do in the old oh, days yeah. in Shaolin? You could not do those indoors. No, true. Because we were literally leaping, you know, creeks and <laughs> climbing, running up. along mm-hmm. logs, and yeah. you know, doing all these kind of ninja things. <laughs> 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 There's no way to set that up indoors unless you've got a giant warehouse, you know. Right. And um, you know, tradition. I mean, let's face it, the old guys, in a lot of cases, did not, uh, especially with CMAs, uh, and I think yeah. with the Japanese martial arts a lot, too, you you know, especially when they're battlefield or martial-oriented things, you're going to do them outdoors because wars usually don't happen, you know, in arenas or in... Uh, so not you, yet. you get used to the lay of the <laughs> land, you get used to what's different if it's muddy or if the grass is dewy. Or, you know, what if it's super hot? How long can I go compared to when the temperatures moderate? You exactly. Know? You, you, and plus you, you add different training elements because, you know, indoors, most likely your floor is going to be flat, you know. Yeah. Outdoors, you if the ground is sloping a little bit, oh, poor you, I can't now do my kick. Yeah. Well, if you yeah. used to, you know, those kinds of changes in environment, you're going to be better off for it. Yeah. Now, I'm all against duck shit at the park. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get into that some other time, though. <laughs> That's another discussion topic. That is a totally other discussion topic. <laughs> and one other uh, Conan thing, obviously, on the is that you don't have to worry about, you know, messing up your training area and the formality of perhaps bowing into the school or anything like that when you're outdoors. Um, you know, you can bring your cup of coffee in the morning if that's what you're into, your water bottle, and you don't have to worry about messing up the mats or anything like that. Well, now, when we used to train at the garden club at UGA, we got uh, tossed out for messing up there. our training yep. area doing that's box drills. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, you know, we, we really carefully manicure this, so when you come out on our nice green lawn and 
make box shapes for hours on end. <laughs> we, we don't like that. We'd prefer you do snow angels. Yeah, <laughs> mud angels, whatever. Um, yeah, so, you know, and also just the viability of smaller groups of students. Now, the drawbacks of outdoor training, of course, inclement weather, lack of branding opportunity, because really you're just another guy in the park when somebody sees you. There's no sign hanging over your head letting these people know what you do. True. Um, you know, in professional appearance, again, you're just another dude in a field. <laughs> you could be anybody. Uh, it cuts down on the potentiality for kids' classes, especially for very young kids. Um, you got to lug your gear back and forth and back and forth with you every time you go out, you know, to, to train. And it, and it cuts out a lot of stuff that, like, I would, there's things that I would like to use that I just don't have access to with my students. I, I know a little something. I, about I mean, that. doing throws and sparring yeah. and certain types of apps. You know, it's just uh, you got you got to kind of change it up because you're trying to to be effective, but at the same time, not officially kill your friend. You, know, you <laughs> right. can't flip them or off just through the wall. having you know heavy bags or yeah, you know exactly. striking stuff uh, around. Mojongs for the Wing Chun guys, whatever you know. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and uh, here's the, here's the big one though. I think. Uh, you know, usually you can find a bathroom, like you find a park or something that has decent facilities and maybe even a pavilion to train under if it rains or whatever, but just the cold, the heat and the rain. And a lot of times even really nice days can make your students lazy. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful day outside. Should I go? No, I think I'm going to go sit on the patio and drink beer with my friends at this restaurant. (laughs) Uh, or, you know, uh, it's cold. It's I mean, like literally I see my class sizes fluctuate wildly with the seasons. Oh yeah. Dead of winter. Yeah. You're lucky to get two people. Mm-hmm. You know, in times past when the good weather rolls around though, suddenly you show up on a Saturday morning or whatever. And there's, there's Same half class. a dozen people, 10 people, 15 people hanging out there. It's like, yeah. Oh, where were you? I was hiding from the weather, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the bottom line. And you know, it's hard to knock people for that. Because, you know, if you don't want it that bad, you're not going to go stand out in the piss and rain and true and do it. But I guess it also acts as a filter. It does. It does. So that could be a perk or a drawback. <clears throat> now, park rules are bad, you know, sometimes. Uh, we close at dark. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the only cool time to train, you know? <laughs> yeah. I want to come out here at three in the morning or four in the morning because the air's cleaner and the mm-hmm. and cooler than it's going to be all day in Atlanta in the middle of the summer. But you're not allowed to do that. And you know, even if you just stick around a little too long after dark, a lot of times you got the cops rolling up saying, "Oh, break it up." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big uh, Al Shingy class. Big Alan Carroll, who was here a couple of episodes ago. You know, he uh, he used to have a Tuesday night class, and he he has to do it uh, every now and then based on how much sunlight is at the park. Yeah. Right, right. Luckily, that's fairly predictable, though. <laughs> uh, you know, you're competing from spa- for space. You know, if if you want to work out on the nice flat basketball courts, you know, if some dudes show up with a basketball, you basically got to hand it over to them <laughs> because that's really what its purpose built for. And the park will get testy with you if you if you chase them off with your wooden swords. <laughs> I was going to say at the same time, though, I'd like to see them take it from you. <laughs> well, you know, if only it was that simple. Shaolin um, soccer, Shaolin basketball. And then, of course, the <laughs> most fun part of all is the, hey, is that Mortal Kombat Nimrods <laughs> that you get running up to you when you practice outdoors? Well, to be fair, I remember when we were in the Ladies Memorial Garden at UGA. 
Craig here would often bring a boombox, and often on that boombox, as we practice, would be the Mortal, Mortal Kombat. Kombat. <laughs> I much preferred the Basil Polidori uh, Conan soundtrack, but uh, yeah. Oh, I had uh, once at the Square in Decatur, you know, I was training with a few people out there, and several uh little gaggle of about four or five dudes and they were all saltified you know they come running up there and they just basically walked into the middle of our training and started jumping around and going hi <laughs> trying to do kicks and stuff woo woo and they were kind of all up in our faces and mm-hmm. and i i took a step back and waited till one of them was paying attention to me to see if i was you know right being affected by their little show and i said no dude you're doing it all wrong and i ripped off three or four like whack whap tornado kicks <laughs> <laughs> and they suddenly kind of got quiet and slunk off about their business yeah so you know it's usually not that big a deal no. a lot of people are just having fun with you or whatever but it can still be really irritated when you're trying to get your students in the mind frame of you know we're, we're here to work we're going to do this thing it's a serious business hey bruce lee what you doing <laughs> over there distraction, <laughs> basically yeah it's a damn distraction into. Well, and, you know, it's not just people hollering stuff at you. It could be the smells coming from the restaurants. Mm-hmm. It could be anything around there that makes it harder to... Anything that distracts you. And, and once again... What do you call those? Uh, distractions, I think. Hot chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm in downtown Decatur, man, practicing on a Wednesday night, you know, and yeah. sometimes... No, I've walked a circle hopping. before and my head just turns to pivot because I won't take my eyes off it. Anyway. Well, once again, you can also have people walking up and some are interested and some, as you say, might be there to poke fun. And I remember on at least one occasion, a fellow came up when we were in the park who just wanted to challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. happens. And it's the unfortunate bit is now my reaction is pretty much tame because I'm so used to it, you know, but new students who haven't seen that before, you you know, their, their eyes get big and they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. You know, mm-hmm. but it happens all the time. It's definitely yeah. one of those drawbacks. Um, so let's look real quickly at some middle ground solutions, <clears throat> rec centers, you know, uh, public facilities that, uh, like YMCA's and things like that, community centers, Often, if you're teaching a martial art and you're either a new teacher or it's not something with huge curb appeal, you can go talk to people at one of these rec centers and find a slot that they have open and start building up a student base that way. Um, That can also be problematic because they usually don't want too much actual violence going on (laughs) in their facilities. (laughs) But it all depends on what kind of style you're teaching and what you're trying to get out there. Um, Teaching out of other people's gyms, you know, a lot of times you'll see, uh, you know, a gym, we've got the CrossFit and karate and this and that, but we've got two hours where there aren't any classes. It never hurts to ask, hey, you want a little of this in your program? Um, And that can be really good for giving you access to new potential students and and getting more exposure. Uh, Oftentimes it's a problem, though, that they want 90% of the money or whatever Mm -hmm. that you make on the class. So. If you're trying to do it to put a little extra money in your pocket, a lot of times, most of it's going to go just to well, keep in the and not your to mention, spot in the space. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of, uh, well, quite a few different people go this route, but, you know, I had to say it, but even though you do have an extended audience for potential students, the quality of student, as far as long-term student in a public recreation center, usually is a lot smaller. 
Um, you, you're going to have people that aren't really as serious. They're just kind of testing the water, seeing if they yeah, really try it out this. just to get some exercise. Exactly. Which it is, is it it's isn't not a bad, a bad thing, thing, but it's just, if you're, you're not yeah. going to find your long term, you know, inheritor of your style right. from teaching there. Or if you do, they're going to be the, the diamond in the rough. Right. As far right. as that goes. Um, uh, and another option, which intrigues me more and more, the older I get, and the more, and the more months I plunk down that mortgage payment, <laughs> is uh, just building some dedicated space outside of your home or inside it if your mm -hmm. house is big enough, and just operating that way. Oh yeah, a lot of people have gone that route. It's very mm -hmm. traditional. It's one of the you know long-standing yeah. traditions. I mean, yeah, and if you're somebody that's not really trying to make your whole career out of martial arts. Uh, you know, make all of your money out of it, <laughs> be a be a full-time professional teacher. It can be a really good middle ground because you can still teach classes on a regular basis and have a decent place to do it. But, you know, if nobody shows up, yeah. you're still at home. You just, you know, grab a beer and turn the TV exactly. on. <laughs> I mean, for, for you and I, it, we've had too many times where we've gone – you know, way on out to where we're going to yeah. be teaching, and nothing sucks worse around. than driving all the way to the park on a Sunday afternoon, and none of the people that said they were coming are there. Ding, ding. ding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it can happen. Well, I, it I, does. I speak from experience. Uh -huh. I, I actually, I guess it would suck worse if you just paid the more, you know, the the lease on a building yeah. and nobody showed up. Bingo. But uh, with know. contracts, that wouldn't happen though. That's the thing. Even if they didn't show up, they'd still be forced to pay you the money. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else anybody Drawbacks, I say, uh, to that situation might be this one aspect is um, <clears throat> with – you guys noticed on the, uh, a lot of episodes recently when I talk about the news, there's a lot of these uh, you know, sexual miscreants and whatnot taking over when it comes to teaching martial arts. Yeah, Luckily, we haven't had one of those in a while. But. No. Oh, they're out there, though. I see them on the news they every are. other day. We're they just, are. We're too I'm busy being selective. for that for now. Yeah. I'll come back with them soon enough. And <laughs> we may do a specialty show. <laughs> that's <but>. right. <laughs> but that's uh, one of the situations um, with teaching out of the house is, first off, you're dealing with trust. Um, if someone wants to come to you, send their child to you, or whatever the case may be, it's like, I don't know you, I don't know what you're teaching, and you want me to come to your house. You know, so that's something you kind of got to deal with. Well, you need to make a space well. so that that parent can come with them and watch what you do. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Parents should want to do that, or I don't know if I would trust the parent. Well, true. At least for a few times, you know? Because if they're just looking for a daycare dump, then... Well, that's what most of them are. Yeah. <laughs> well, then they should go to the people that are paying the leases on the big places. And are this isn't Mister Rogers' dojo. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, neighbor. <laughs> but I think another good point about the home studio is that you know, obviously, from from the from the obvious benefits of low overhead, no overhead, all this kind of good stuff, um, is that when it comes to training implements. Not you don't have to even go out and buy them, put them into a custom installation. You can build them yourself for pennies on the dollar, mm -hmm. just the exact way you want. You know to set it up. Um, that's that's a beautiful thing. That's something I'm looking at too as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've covered that pretty thoroughly. Uh, right now, we're going to slip off to the uh, champagne lounge for a minute. And we'll be right back with a hot interview from Aaron Fields. Ini nak tahu tengok demam mandor, cara senang dorbun juga nampak jauh bos to. 
Okay, welcome back. We're back from the Champagne Lounge, and we have uh, Aaron Fields on the line with us. Say hi to everybody, Aaron. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Uh, We're really pleased to get you on. You came well-recommended to us. Uh, But let's get right into this and uh, get everybody up to speed on what you're all about. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you started doing martial arts and uh, what kind of martial arts you're into. Um, Well, I started uh, like like most most folks do you know they they take what's easy and what's close right and uh you know i lived in a well today it's the most diverse zip code in the in the country but i was raised in a pretty uh you know if there are the tracks i'm so i'm definitely on the wrong side maybe not quite as far as some but the neighborhood was kind of rough and tumble and i uh, i was big and was a target and (laughs) so i uh i started doing when i was pretty young karate and kind of dabbled around with that and then uh picked that back up again in in adolescence and uh, to be honest with you and never late adolescence and never really uh, really never really dug gotten getting hit and uh, i would when you're doing you know free free play i'd always end up grabbing the dude and sweeping him or throwing him down and and that seemed to be where i like to fight so right. um uh so then one of the guys one day said, you know, you should do jujitsu or something. And this was before the big craze. And so I started doing jujitsu and then uh, quickly dovetailed into judo because despite kind of the popular easy classifications, jujitsu comes in a lot of flavors depending on where it's from and, and more importantly, when it is from. And the stuff that I was doing was an offshoot of one of the predecessors to judo that, uh, came to the U.S. in the early 1900s and was primarily ground-focused. I mean, the throwing was almost all very sumo-esque, and so it had, but the groundwork was pretty refined. And come to find out that the brothers that had brought it here were, you know, carny fighters and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, that makes sense. And so, anyway, I, you know, the, the stand-up game wasn't very strong, relatively speaking. And so I started doing judo pretty close after that and have been at those for, I don't know, over, over 20 years. And then, um, in 96, I was living in Mongolia and I started doing Sambo with their national team, working out with some of their national team players and, you know, being included in the practices and stuff like that. And, and, and really fell in love with the, uh, not only the sport, but the, the methodology to the sport. Now, and, now can and, I stop you right there before we go any further? And uh, yep. could, could you please explain Sambo for some of us that might not know exactly what it is? Uh, yeah, sure. It, it, Sambo comes out of the Soviet Union in the, uh, in the 30s and is when it kind of was formally stamped. And uh, it, it draws on a lot of traditions. It draws on judo and, and, and some of the, you know, the judo-esque jiu-jitsu stuff that was going on in Japan at the time. A couple of the founders were heavily involved with that. But it also includes a lot of the Central Asian and Central European Russian styles that were in the Soviet Union at the time. It, it's kind of, you know, it, it borrows from a lot of different traditions. 
it, it served a couple of purposes. One was initially to give their military something to do hand to hand that would be considered superior. And, and the other thing was, uh, which is often overlooked, is to just to clearly distinguish a, uh, a Russian identity sport. And it, you know, there's some, there's obviously some Soviet propaganda that goes in there and, you know, they're kind of striving to show their dominance through assimilation of things and performance. And so they, they were very big as, as we all know, they were, you know, throwing off the, the dogma of why, you know, doing things a particular order. So everything in Sambo was kind of boiled down and, and the search for principle and leverage and, and mechanics so that, you know, you know, if you talk to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy and a judo guy, they're doing different hip throws if you listen to them talk, right? Right. Because they, they, God forbid a judo guy does Brazilian because it's just dirty, bad groundwork for me. Oh, yeah, that stuff is low class. <laughs> and, yeah. And, yeah, clearly. and the jiu-jitsu guy is like, well, throws don't hurt, so I don't need to worry about them too much because they've never been thrown, you know. <laughs> right. So there's this kind of, there's this kind of, you know, one guy not appreciating what the other do. And the, and the Russians were, you know, like a hip throw is a hip throw whether it comes from the outside in or the inside out, whether it's a Georgian dude doing it or a Mongolian dude doing it or a freestyle guy doing it, it's the same, it's the same mechanic. The, the difference is going to be based off rules and clothes and, you know, if you're wearing something or you're not. And so it really is, uh, you know, people consider it eclectic. Um, I actually find uh, it to be really formulaic in that you there is a model to acquiring skills there is a model to putting those skills into play there is a model into interpretation of those skills and and it doesn't really matter where it comes from and yeah it sounds like a little bit more of a reductionist uh, more scientific approach than what uh, you did that is it exactly cuz the russians you know they were they were they were going to kill you I mean, religion was the enemy and so <laughs> it's science science was god right i mean science was the answer and so um, it's a shame they got very, it so wrong with the crop genetics and stuff, but uh, that's <laughs> <it>. yep. <laughs> you know. And and the other thing about the Soviet Union was as nice is if they killed a couple athletes um, figuring it out, it didn't really matter because there was another dude to take his place. Yeah, and the rest of them, <laughs> the rest of them trained a lot harder. I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Well, if it's that or the gulag with your family, you're gonna you're gonna work your ass off. So oh, yeah. you know, it, it's um. And, and I, it's interesting because there's been some recent conversations within the ASA, the American Samba Association, and some of the our, our compadres from overseas, and some of them who have been doing samba for a very long time have, unoff the record, made the comment that samba in the United States is is very much in the in the vein of samba or early samba because. In Russia and a lot of the uh, the communist countries where it's it's very well established, and and the rest of the world actually, you know, it was governed by the same organization that governed uh, uh, Greco and freestyle for quite some time, and and considered the third style of international wrestling, and then judo clearly um, likes to govern itself. Right. And govern itself into oblivion. If you just keep making rules, eventually you'll make yourself uh, right. <laughs> obsolete. Uh, so, um, and and so it's it's popular in other places. And and but because of that, right? If you watch com- sambo competitively in some of the countries that it's really well established, 
since those guys have only ever fought other samboists, uh, it it has it is it is becoming what it kind of was originally trying not to be, which is codified. Right. And, and and so in this country, we're a minority grappling sport. Clearly, uh, we're we're having good big, you know, controlled but growth. I mean, we're we're growing and we're gaining popularity. Uh, but you know, our my guys have to go compete in Brazilian or judo or submission wrestling or something like that and then make just a couple of you know sambo tournaments a year and even though that's their main the sport that they're they're practicing for and uh uh it, so it makes you diverse i mean our guys can play a guard game you know our guys can uh play a takedown game yeah. um, it, you know and, and and so it's kind of in some ways in this country in its kind of fledgling state um, you know, what it was originally intended to be. Uh, well, and that's to say, not to say better or worse, just to say, sure. you know, it's, it's on the, it's on the frontier, you know, and, um, well, let, let me ask a question to, sorry, happening we're here. talking over each other there, buddy. <laughs> let me ask well. a question to, to clarify just for myself. Like I had not seen much, uh, Sambo. And by the way, I have to say as an aside here, I'm glad it's Sambo and not Sambo because we live in the deep South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in the US. <laughs> there was, there was, you know, and I'm adopted. My dad's black and, uh, and, and I'm a white guy and my dad's black. I was adopted really early. So there was definitely some, when I saw it originally, I was like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to play this or punch you in the fucking mouth. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's an, it's an acronym and it me, it basically, it, it's an acronym from the, it, and you know, in 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 Cyrillic, it's spelled with a C, okay. right? And it's an acronym for basically fighting without weapons is what it is. And depending on where you're from, like we have a, a former Soviet national team player, a master in sport, and she's from Odessa, and she says samba. So everybody thinks she's getting ready to it's dance. dance. I mean, it's a pronunciation, <laughs> you know. Um, and for many years within the United States, it was spelled with an O. S O M B O because they didn't people did not want the to connotation which it. I think you know w- w- neither here nor there some guys are you know uh, think that still should be and some guys think it was ridiculous to do it the other way and and I think <laughs> well yeah as, once you know you know but uh, yeah once you know you know the the other really neat thing and and I that I really find refreshing is there's no belts. Oh, I, I, mean, like I can't that tell too. you how many times I've been in a judo club, and I've had some guy telling me, you know, he's he's a higher don level than me, and he's telling me how to how to do something, and, and you know, and I'm right. like, well, why don't you come over and show me, sweetheart? You know, <laughs> you know and, oh well, you know, I mean, there's this, you know, God forbid, a, you know, an, a national, an NC Division One national champion wrestler comes into a judo club and takes the black belt down, you know, that, that better not happen. Cause clearly, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, so they simply don't engage you to keep that from right, happening. Boy, and, and then they say, you can't grab the legs. Yeah. You know, you can't initially grab the legs, which eliminates some of the Kodakon's original throws. Right. And so, I mean, I, I always laugh, you know, and in, in the reaction is like that with, with the belt system comes this whole fucking hierarchy thing. For and and to be frank, a lot of the dudes that are attracted in this country, not all of us clearly, but a lot of the guys that are attracted to the, the combative sport or combative endeavors are the dudes that were the last ones on the fence. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in ball sports, and so now all of a sudden, it's they've got this black belt, and they think it's this this opportunity to, you know, and it's you know, and if there's a guy over in the corner with, I mean, one of the things, you know, the guy over in the corner with the cauliflower ear and the bad knee that's 57 or 80 years old. He's not going to come show you, and he clearly doesn't need to because he could do it, right? right. But <laughs> it's the dude that's, you know, strutting around like over. a peacock with his yeah, with his, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so one of the things that I like is without that belt system, that personality that likes the hierarchy based off um, decoration and not performance is uh, is excluded. They don't come into the gym because it, well, oh, I don't get a belt. Oh, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. And and my response is I'm not interested in working with you. You know. <laughs> and my gym is diverse. We've got uh, Division One, Two, II, and Three wrestlers. Some of whom were all Americans. High level Brazilian guys. National level judo players. You know when they were in their prime. Active judo players that are you know doing very well. Uh, former Soviet national team players, beginners, people that have no, absolutely no experience. We have, you know, people whose only experience is Sambo. So we have a whole gamut. And, man, it's fun because you go in every night and you're like, you know, I, I need to work on such and such because, uh, you know, so-and-so is catching me with it every single time because fuck, he spent his whole life doing single legs. Guess what? His single leg is pretty good. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and instead of, prohibiting it's like you embrace and adjust which in my mind is is the 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 uh the core of what we're supposed to be doing and and in the truth i think if judo you know is a commentary on where judo's going and i i love judo uh but i think that you know when you're watching it it's incredibly frustrating because it's there's no groundwork which i like um and you know the and the argument as well, it's not spectator friendly. What wrestling sport is spectator friendly? There's none that are, you know. Right. And, and and so, and in judo's response is to, you know, make rules where what maybe they should do is not make the rule and allow the judo players to naturally adjust. And you know, if their principles are sound, they will find themselves able to adjust and and still play judo, right? I yeah. Mean, so. Well, judo but, will grow to encompass whatever it needs to, to to support them in the ring. Yeah, if it was, because Kano's original vision was a model for training, not a collection of technique. Mm-hmm. It was a model for mm-hmm. practice and, and a focus on the principles of leverage. Well, if those principles are sound, those principles are universal, and rules shouldn't make a difference. And so, I mean, I think that we get, you know, I think we're, uh, you know, at least in this area, which is very judo, they has, you know, the oldest judo school in the country. I mean, there's two judo schools here that are very good judo schools, but there, there's an exodus and, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing guys come in that have been in different judo clubs for years. I'm like, yeah, it's just not the same sport anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a good so. thing you're there to catch the uh, overflow. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, let me, uh, I was, I was going to ask, you know, when I was watching some videos of this stuff, just trying to get familiar with it, uh, the very first one I put on, and I think this was an American match, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the guys I'm watching, I'm like, ah, I've kind of seen a lot of this before. And then wham, out of nowhere, one guy knocks the other guy out cold with a headbutt. Oh yeah, that's and no, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, oh, that's no, no. neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck? That's just the bar fight I had last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, they. Uh, that's probably this. I don't know what that is, um, 
but there is a combat version of Sambo where there, the Sambo that I do is all grappling. I do um, the, the international sport version, and then I do what uh, was the ASA kind of founded in this country to try to wrap up extra grapplers from other traditions, which is freestyle Sambo. And the, the differences are some scoring differences in freestyle allows choking. Okay. Um, but... Uh, all I'm, uh, all that Sambo's doing is uh, that I'm doing is grappling. I'm not doing the combat stuff where they do the hitting and kicking. They include that, um, and that has, the, you know, that it definitely has a place, especially in the, you know, folks are are drawn to it, and a lot of the guys are coming out of uh, that into MMA. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, you're saying uh, a lot of people don't like to watch wrestling sports, or you know, it's not high entertainment. But if you mix strikes like that in, you know. You might, yeah. as as far as just a public, you know, uh, face of the art, that might get the that might get butts in the seats. There you go. <laughs> yeah, more, you know, more, more head butts. That's what you <laughs> yeah. need. Yeah, the occasional head, head butt, just like butts randomly, the, the ref sticks his head, uh, his hand up, and one dude can blast the other one. Yeah, no, it, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think that you know, it's it's funny because you know there was recently some conversation about you know in a couple of places about you know oh maybe Brazilian will get in the Olympics and. I'm like you're kidding yourself, and if if you want it to get <laughs> yeah. in the Olympics, then you're trying to kill the sport. Yeah, um, because you know, and 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 you're kidding yourself. We've got fucking gymnastics, which I'm not saying is not athletic. It's incredibly athletic, but it's fucking arbitrary. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, it's like, well, they did the backflip a little cleaner than the other one, and I'm just looking at it going, holy shit! Did you see they just did 18 backflips? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and ice skating and stuff like that, which is which is an athletic endeavor. But in my mind, I have a really difficult time when when it is purely an aesthetic that yeah. we are value, judging a sport on. But something like that outdraws gymnastics, outdraws all three of the Olympic judo or wrestling sports, judo, oh, freestyle, and Greco. Yeah, so there is no way the says. IOC is going <laughs> to say, "Oh yeah, let's put another wrestling style." that's basically dudes in pajamas that aren't going to be able to tell the difference. I mean, the reason one of the impetuses for judo to move away from groundwork is it looks like freestyle wrestling in PJs. I mean, no one will say that officially, but unofficially we we all know that's the case (laughs) to some degree. They want, and I, they want the three grappling sports to be easily identifiable. And judo is the big throw. Yeah. Uh, Greco is the, upper body locks and the big high stuff and freestyle is kind of the 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 catches catch can rolling around on the ground you know incredibly explosive and dynamic and and of of the three you know i think freestyle personally is the most fun to watch because it, it encompasses all three of the the elements though in the last few years i've really grown uh to appreciate Greco, but it took a guy that really knows the sport pointing things out to me to understand what was going on, right. you know? So, um, well, I we, never knew why the ref was waving at the crowd. Right. Like, oh, that's the, <laughs> for the big lift. So, yeah. Well, we were talking with a previous guest and he, and he said, uh, he thought MMA was going to be the next Olympic sport. And I said, I don't think so. If they're going to make something Olympic sport, wushu would be a much better fit because it's already gymnastics. You Definitely. Know? But there's already oh, gymnastics. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I, <laughs> it's I don't got think the scoring and everything. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. uh, moving along. Uh, uh, do you have any stories you'd like to tell us about being in Mongolia? What were you doing there? Well, uh, before I got involved, I mean, I'm doing what I'd always wanted to do now. But 
there was a there was a brief t- moment in time when um well a few years where I thought that I wanted to go into the the diplomatic corps and uh, yeah you know <laughs> everybody that that knew me was just it's a sigh of relief that I went into the occupation that I did because I would have been a fucking shitty diplomat you know <laughs> <laughs> you fucking suck you know yeah. we're not doing that you know so anyway it uh <laughs> the just you know i would have been the dude that the one that headbutted the other guy right so yeah <laughs> I, occasionally but, um, i'm sure they could use a diplomat like that <laughs> every so often maybe that's what we you know you could be the specialty need, but, guy um yeah yeah I, they would have had to send jimmy carter with me everywhere to like <laughs> smooth out the feathers you know <laughs> but uh so I went to school, you know, I took a few years after high school. I was a pretty terrible high school student, and I just worked. I got, fortunately, my folks made sure I had a trade. So I came out of high school able to run a printing press, which for those people that are under probably 30, they don't even know what I'm talking about. But, um, you oh, know. It, it, you won't find anybody that age in this room, so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I ran a printing press and did a few other things for a few years, and, um and then went back to school and, and went back to study what uh, what I wanted to study. Not I didn't look at you know do what most of my peers were doing, which is going to business school, and what they wanted mm. to do with their business school. They couldn't tell you, but everybody was going to business school because get rich. Uh, that's it. That's yeah. right. I mean, it was basically the fallout from you know it's the it was the ten year fallout of Miami Vice. <laughs> you know, every, everybody yeah. was you know doing absolutely nothing and driving around you know so. Uh, I went to school and I went to to do and I got a couple of degrees, one in um, uh, Mongolian history and one in East Asian studies with the focus linguistics. And uh, so I we went to a school that has the the largest collection of Mongolian literature in the Western world. And um, I was wow. really fortunate in that I was the only one studying it while I was there. Probably not so surprising, uh, but. <laughs> and uh, so I had great access to the professors and, and Mongolian ambassadors and NATO and diplomats and all you know, these people would all come through because there was stuff in this library that didn't exist in Mongolia because it was pro-democracy when Mongolia was the second country. They followed the Soviet Union into that Soviet model of communism by a year. Interesting. And so the library was a wealth. And so these guys had come over here. And anyway, somebody offered, one of the guys offered me, I helped him out some, and he offered me a summer uh, or extended summer in Mongolia working in his small college and I went over there and did that and worked and then got hooked up with the wrestlers while I was there and I was just studying and and just living there and then I I came back and then I went back and so total time was just you know just shy of a year uh in in two different trips and uh and so while I was living there I was just you know, the second trip was definitely just living. I wasn't I had no agenda other than wrestling and and doing you know picking up books and stuff like that so that's what i was doing there sweet yeah yeah it was uh, Um, it was a good trip or good experience got a question for you uh this is douglas hutchison here i'm setting in with the folks today and i was just wondering how would you compare wrestling mongolian wrestling with with sambo uh mongolian folk wrestling you know definitely had an influence i I did some of that and Mm -hmm. had been okayed to wrestle in Nadam, which is one of their large festivals, mm. the second trip. And unfortunately, I just didn't get my shit together in time to get over there for it. 
and and I would have done it. I wouldn't have lasted. It's it's a hard game. I mean, especially coming from, uh, you know, a, a game that you can play. You know, where you can play standing and on the ground. In Mongolian right. wrestling, there's no time limit, no weight class, and the point is to get the guy to hit any part of his body other than his hand or his foot to the to the ground. Right, and so. You know, and how it works is it's a very, you know, is that the senior wrestlers, the higher graded wrestlers, get choice every round of who to wrestle with. So, um, I mean, there's since I've been over there, I was one of the, you know, in certain places, I was the first American because the country opened up in the mid 90s. And I was there in the mid 90s. And so since then, there have been guys that have gone and done, you know, they've wrestled in the little Nottoms, the little regional stuff or anything like that. And they've, you know, there's been some documentaries on it and things. But I was, to my understanding, the first Amer- American that had gotten kind of the, it's okay because of the dudes I was working out with. Not because of my skill level in Mongolian wrestling, but because <laughs> the guys that I was. Reg, uh, regularly being thrown around by, um, you know, there's one point in <laughs> when I'm in practice and I'm 210 pounds and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm fairly in shape and, and I'm over there and I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling with my weight class. And one of the coaches yells at one of the guys that's coaching yells over when you're done wrestling with the boys, come over here, Aaron. <laughs> and, you know, my main training partner was six foot and two seventy, and had nice. been a strong man in a circus. Wow. And so, and I watched him get thrown by a guy named Bathar then who threw him, who at the time was, you know, one of the dominant champions and, <laughs> you watch him get thrown through the air, and you're like, "Oh Jesus, that I think I would break every bone just hitting the ground there." I mean, that that's not good. I was like looking the other direction. You know, the whole like when you're walking down the street and you see the crazy guy and you don't want to make eye contact. <laughs> same thing, like, "Oh God, don't let him grab me." I mean, it's, he was actually a really nice guy. I mean, they were all very nice. Oh, yeah. I would say though, off that, that most of their folk wrestlers um, were also on their judo or their freestyle or, you know, in Mongolia, wrestling is, is a big deal. Um, With archery and horseback riding. Yeah. The horseback and the archery and the, the wrestling are the three heavenly sports. And wrestling is a big deal to the point where like, you know, I'm walking down the street and people will occasionally stop me and say, Hey, you're the American that's working out with so-and-so. Oh yeah, that's right. I mean, it was for the, you know, for coming from this country where no one gives a shit about the sport in any capacity, um, you know, and then going there and, and being recognized for being a throwing dummy is, is, uh, you know, <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's pretty different. And those guys there are, are scientific about it and they do not, they do not, it's, it was really refreshing and it changed everything about how I practice because I was being coached by people that were coaches uh, that knew how to coach, not only the sport, but also how people learn and being coached by guys that are like, this is your job. You practice, you wrestle twice, you, you go to practice twice a day, six days a week, nine months a year. I mean, that was what you did. And everyone's on a little different schedule, but it was very unformalized. But at the same time, when it was, it seemed haphazard at times, the scheduling. But when those guys were there, it was, it was focused and it was specific. And, and, and they didn't care. I mean, you get freestyle guys in with the judo team because they're working on something or vice versa. And most of the guys played, or a high number of the guys played, you know, multiple styles, so to speak. 
So yeah, it was it was great. It was it was it was a really good bunch of guys, and and they practiced hard because it was their living, it was their livelihood. Yeah, and they were very um, focused on it. But I never had anybody try to fuck me up. I mean, you know, you, you listen right. to, I've got friends that were doing judo in Japan in the 50s and 60s, and some of that le- clearly comes because the Japanese were not real happy with their treatment towards the end of the mm. war, but, uh-huh. you know, they were being thrown into walls and choked as unconscious, mm. and, and never had that. I mean, I would get thrown or taken down or something would happen, and it would be, you know, rougher than the dude had intended, and he would be, oh, 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 you're all right, you're all right, you know, mm. get you back up, and, and you'd go to it. And, um, and I went from you know, okay to, to pretty fucking good because wow. of the coaching. And, and I've never been a guy that took real well. I mean, my, my stand-up game has never been my strength. My strength has always been my transition and my ground, um, my transition from standing to ground. And, um, and my throwing got a lot better, especially on a principle format. So even though my performance when I was there was only marginally better, and I mean marginally better against guys that are fucking, you know, the, are in the Olympics, but <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which is, you know, if you get a throw every so often, you're happy about, you know. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but when I came back and I was able to start to assimilate those training models and those training methodology, it got much better. And it got much better all the way over and how I take things apart and how I look at them. Um, and, you know, I'm, I've tr- always kind of been a guy that's a little rough around the edges and, and more than willing to give somebody the middle finger. And, <laughs> and I feel like that one of the things that that exposure for me was, was instrumental was is that uh, it, uh, was throwing off kind of the dogma of recreational coaches that you can be a recreational player and, and someone that does it as a hobby, but still yeah. coach it and practice it as though you're a professional. You don't have to be, you know, do this. Why? Cause I told you to, and that's uh. what I was told to do. Nobody that's performance based that says shit like that. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, Ohara Sensei was five foot nine and 160 pounds. His right foot might be in a slightly different position than mine. You know, if you can't <laughs> explain to me the principle, right. and that's one of the cool things is when you go and look at like high level athletics and or performance based at any level, they're never practicing mimicry. They're practicing comprehension mm-hmm. and like. You, you know, a guy that if you have, have never thought, watched coach anything is, is a guy named Jimmy Pedro, who's a judo guy for the U.S. And his coaching model is phenomenal. Another guy from Brazilian jiu-jitsu that's, that's an unbelievable coach is a guy named Salo Ribeiro. Mm. And when you watch these guys coach and how they do it, they are not teaching technique. They are teaching principle. And, and, that, is, you, and, and that was my experience. I came from being coached on the next technique to being coached on forget the technique focus on the principle well and coaching on technique princi- is how you get your black belt right right that's right <laughs> and, and that's it exactly man and and and, the, and i'm not throwing stones at, at some of my first coaches because that's the only way they knew how to coach because sure. they weren't professional coaches they were something else They were, you know, they did other things. And so the way that they were coached, because their coaches did other things. And to go, for me to go there and for the first time to be thrown into this, you know, because at that point I had only been grappling for, oh, shit, you know, eight eight or nine years. 
and and that's not very long when you're competing against guys that were you know Olymp yeah. world champions, um, and so uh, you know it was it was instrumental in my growth and my development. I mean, it, and it, and the way I look at things, and to be able to come back and watch how these guys that are really well established in their communities are doing things, and going, oh, you're fucking nuts. That's not how you do it. Do it like this. Coach it like this. You might know that technique. 50 times better than me, but unless you can communicate that to somebody and you can isolate what it is you're actually trying to do, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how good you are at it, you know, cause you're not the one that's trying to do it. You right. know? <laughs> you're trying yeah. to help somebody else understand. Yeah. How do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that's, that's endemic or an epidemic within the combative and combative sport community that leads to this kind of, in this country, it, it being this kind of weird, grouping of personalities but um yeah i so it was good for me i i I liked it and i think as a human being yeah i mean i i think that the going somewhere else and and realizing what it is to truly be an american because there's no one around you that thinks like you yeah uh, and in realizing that you know i ran into a couple british guys when i was there and and when you're pulled out of your own community and you're talking about stuff you're like these guys i don't share anything with these guys i know why my ancestors fought a war and it wasn't just to fucking not drink tea and play soccer it was (laughs) god awful sport um so anyway yeah it was it was good you know well um all right, uh, this is all great. I don't want to keep you on the phone all night, but I've got a few other things I'd like to get to if you got a little more time. Yeah, I got time, no problem. Okay, um, let's talk about your work as a as a firefighter. I've seen some instructional videos you do on hose handling that look like they might be somehow infected by your martial arts, or or is that standard technique that you're showing? Uh, no, it it's not. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, I'm a firefighter for the city of Seattle. Uh, my dad is as well, and so is my brother. And and I work in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, so it's it's it were in a weird on the west coast. We've kind of got that east coast family thing going. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, <clears throat> so the, the fire service is is uh, the, there's a lot of different ways that people handle hose and, and do stuff and. So my focus on developing kind of my own model, um, it ties in, I mean, the, the correlation is direct. I mean, understanding leverage and understanding force and how to use a force as a point of balance and how to gain mechanical advantage. I mean, my wife and my mom both give me shit because what's happened is, is um, I've, I developed this, this skill set of moving hose and handling lines and, and doing, uh, you know, and, and then there's an intellectual component on fire attack, like what is going on in the thermodynamics and how we are applying water and kind of a revisiting of old uh, principles and, mm. and putting it into, so there's an intellectual component to what I teach too. It's not just the physical skills, but, um, you know, I developed these skills for myself and then got involved to teaching recruits and uh, a couple people came to me after a couple of years and were like, Hey, can you show our experienced guys? Cause our recruits are, are smoking them. And so I started <laughs> and then over the course of about four years, it's, it's kind of taken on legs of its own. And I have a two day class that I, I have been teaching all around the country on hose handling, fire attack, 
and hose movement and and it's a system uh, kind of very much like I was just talking about it's a it's a system of principles not a collection of technique right and there's a lot of models out there, but most of those models are, are, are like wrestling is defined by its rules and what your garments are. Fire service stuff is often designed by your, how long it takes your second do to show up and how many guys you have getting off the rig. Mm. And so originally I, I set out on. So are you, are you, I'm sorry. Are you saying you have to customize it for the size of the department and yeah, the type exactly, of fire? Okay, exactly. And and a lot of the things that some of the the departments do in this country are are are, are great and they work in their context. But you know, when I'm talking to a guy from FDNY and I'm saying, you know, he's like, well, I don't know how you fucking do it with the number of dudes you have. Because we have uh, my agency, my first agency that I worked for before Seattle had three guys on the engine company, which is fairly standard throughout the U.S., and, and, and yeah. New York is like five. And so uh, I think it's five. And, and it, you know, but some cities have, and the, Seattle has four on the every engine. So we're more than most but less than some. And so, you know, how much nozzle reaction and how much weight that you can take, I mean, uh, while you're doing this stuff and being able to do it while you're on your hands and knees and not able to see sometimes, I mean, you know, all that stuff. So I would take these classes from these guys from all around the country, and I basically took the techniques that they were showing, and I kept twisting and tweaking and altering and looking for more mechanical advantage and then boiling it down to what are the principles of how to do this. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of the perfect storm. Uh, I, the, the right captains and the right folks were in the right place when I came over to Seattle from the other department and saw what I was doing and we implemented it with some recruits and the right chiefs were there. And so that Seattle kind of adopted it. And then I, but in the meantime, I've been teaching in other places and other cities are adopting it. And there's, there's been like this huge growth of, from this really grassroots one fireman to another, no big company, no big YouTube publicity stunt or anything like that. Just guys <laughs> taking these classes all around the country and, We've gotten, I've gotten a lot of really positive response, and I'm, I'm traveling when I'm off duty. I'm traveling and teaching this stuff in other places, and I, and I, it's been really humbling because you know guys that have, have fucking been doing it for a long longer than me are you know slapping me on the back and saying, hey brother, you're doing a good thing because I've got a bad shoulder and a bad knee and a bad back from a fire that I could have used mm-hmm. this stuff on, and and so the guys are pre- performing skills that, you know they they. You know, in two days, I can get guys to do stuff that they didn't think they could do and had no ability to do prior to that two days. So, um, you know, and, and I've got about eight guys trained up that, that travel around and help me out. And, and we, we try to we try to keep it pretty grassroots. We try to, uh, you know, offer the, the class for, for a lot less than most of the, the classes out there are going for. And then we, we donate about 20% a year. And, you know, and to departments that are, or to organizations, if it's not a department that, uh, that, that can't afford, you know, the going rate of what we're, we're asking. And, and so we try to keep it as, as kind of close to the earth as we can and making, making it better for, uh, ourselves, but more importantly, making ourselves more effective for the people that we serve, our, our, our communities, you know, our bosses. So. Well, that's that's genuinely awesome, and I don't yeah, say that. Yeah, it, it's often. been it's been it's really humbling, you know. And and I think that, I mean, I I think that in a lot of ways, my 
my, I, for, for no, no question, my wife and my mom both bust my balls about, about, um, about your hose your handling. Balls. Why? Yeah, they're all, yeah, literally. A lot of bad ways, but that really all I'm doing is I'm teaching guys to wrestle fire hose. And, mm. and that's, that is definitely the case. It's, I'm definitely looking at line management and, and line handling from a wrestler's perspective. Uh, but on the flip side of that, my fire has helped my, my combative sport immensely. I mean, more so than my combative sport has helped my fire. Um, nice. Yeah, and, and, and in ways that, you, you know, I, I just, it, it, again, it, it's, it's kind of the perfect storm in that my personality is to typically call bullshit if, if, I, if I smell it. And, I mean, I have gotten... I, I'll be honest. My tolerance for the the Budo community uh, is very small because these guys are talking about stuff that they're going to do and be able to do. And having been in that acutely stressful environment, when your heart rate is moving at a rate where your fucking perception is down and your motor skills are down, and you know there's chaos going on around you. Yeah, and, and, and not to mention that the fire or the hose itself could kill you and won't care. If you screw absolutely, up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, having been in that environment, um, I, I, my, my, the, my perception on Budo changed. I, I take it a lot less, not less seriously, but more, um, real in that it is something that I love to do, but it is not what defines who I am. And it is not, and I'm not going to pretend that, uh, you know, that it is anywhere that any level of competition that I have ever been in, any comes even close to what the stress of an actual combative engagement would be. Uh, and, and, and the chaos. And I think that there's a lot of guys out there that fool themselves into thinking they're doing, um, you know, something that's going to stand the test of, you know, even a simple mugging are fucking crazy. Cause I mean, if you, if you told me, you look, you're going to go get in a bar fight. I'm going to go get six rugby players, not six karate guys right. <laughs> or, six, or six or ensemble guys. I'm going to go get six rugby players. Cause they're going to laugh and smile and spit their teeth out and keep on fighting. You Got know, a good I mean, scrum going. Exactly. Yeah. man. Exactly. And, and so, well, that's the kind of stuff you can't really teach either. A, a person's no, kind of born with that in them or not to some it, extent. It, there is no way to teach it. There is, and, and there is no way uh, that you can simulate it in drill, and yep. there is no way uh, that – but the, the one thing I will say is that if we were using the model that the military uses to teach Budo, mm-hmm. uh, then our, our combat of sport would be much better. Uh, because they're using, you know, those guys are, are figuring out how you can take 18-year-olds, teach them a bunch of skills, drop them into a country, and have them being shot at and performing those skills at an incredibly high level. And there's so much written on skill acquisition models and and how you go about teaching skills that, and I use it in my, uh, in, uh, in my gym. with I use those same models that I use when I'm teaching fire. The difference is, is that... Um, you know, you're never going to worry about your life in a competitive match. Right. You know, you, you, you might get hurt and that might, it might really hurt, but 
it's nothing like, you know, <laughs> it's nothing like what could be going on. And so, uh, and there's no way, I mean, I just was talking to one of my guys who competed and wasn't so happy with his performance about it. And I'm like, look, you've never played, this guy's never played any real competitive sports. He does really well in practice. And I'm like, dude, your heart rate, just stepping up to that mat spikes. And when that happens to a, at a certain point at about 140 beats a minute, roughly, your your vision goes, your perception goes, mm-hmm. your your high level reasoning goes, and your motor skills go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so until you get control of that adrenaline dump, your performance is going to be the same. Your skill level is higher than your performance, but it's not your performance ability is not up to par yet. And you know, there's a lot of terms for it. You know, you'll hear people say gamesmanship and things like that. You know, the ability just to define the that calmness in the middle of it and that in in sporting event is still easier and and one of the, the i think the fascinating things about the the that the fire has has given me of my fire life has given me is perspective and um you know i just don't take shit too seriously cuz there's there's bigger there's yeah. <laughs> there's bigger things out there you know and uh and sometimes I know it, it's been frustrating. I mean, it frustrates some of the guys that I'm, I'm around, but I, I just I just don't have the tolerance for, you know, all the guys that are saying they're doing the, the you know. Much is too deadly. And, yeah, it's yeah. too deadly. I'm like, well, it can be too deadly, but that, that judo man that throws you on your head is going to kill you. Yeah. You've done it a thousand times in competition. You know, that Brazilian guy is going to choke you into oblivion. And you can try to fish hook him all you want, or you can try to stick your fingers in his eyes all you want. But if your fingers are by my eyes, they're also by my teeth. And if my heart rate is 80 nice. and yours is 140, I'm going to be able to think about biting your finger off. Hi-ya. You're not going to be thinking about <laughs> that, you know. So, I mean, it's it's that inverse relationship. And you're right. There is, there's very little way to prepare for that. And, and the world. And, and the good part of it is we don't need to. Right, I mean, we're not yeah. using these skills for what they were originally intended, yeah, which survival. at the end of the day <laughs> is just simply to fuck some other dude up. Right. Yeah. No, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that. I mean, it, yeah, it, and you know, I think, and I think the guys typically that understand that are the guys that are going to and, and have that understanding of what's going on are also the dudes that you want in your corner if it comes down to it because they they realize, hey, yeah, it's not going to go like, you know, and it's not going to go like it does on the floor and in the, in the, yeah. in the practice hall. I mean, just speaking for me personally, I learned some of the same things you're talking about uh, as an animal control officer in Washington, D.C. in the early 90s when it was crack ec- epidemic capital yep, in the world. Yep. And, you know, we had no backup, no guns, no nothing, and it's out there. Go catch some pit bulls and sneak in and out of projects full of drug dealers all day. <clears throat> right. And, you know, you very rapidly – Realize that well, my flying sidekick is not going to get me out of this in one piece. No, yeah, yeah, Uh, that (laughs) fucking pit bull, man, that's no joke, bro. You kick that gate open, running hose up to a front door, and those dogs come around the corner. They are the house is burning, but they are going to eat your ass. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) what's just barbecue at that point? Yeah, Yeah, fuck, it's no joke. (laughs) They used to take the police used to take me on drug drug raids and shove me in the door first with a catch pole because they did not want to deal with the dogs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and I think the other thing, you know. You know, studying a koryu, um, you, you know, I started yeah. studying uh, a koryu simply to challenge my balance. I, I, to be honest with you, for the most part, I think guys that study koryu are are full of themselves. 
I'm yeah, going to call it, Ellis and tell him you said that. No, he heard me say that. I'm like, these guys are fucking... Yeah. And that's part of the reason I practice with Ellis is because he's not. Right. And, and he's... Uh, the other thing about Ellis is, is he's, he's a smart enough guy that when, he, when you present him with information that was not part of his calculation prior, he recalculates. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that sometimes I've frustrated him in that, I, you know, I'm, I'm a bit flippant about some of this stuff. And it's like, I, you're just not going to, you know... That, you are not going to be able to maneuver that in that way wearing gear. And he's like, well, how do you know? It's because, well, because when I'm wearing my full bonkers, I go from 210 to 270. I'm telling you, you're not going to be able to, you know, and, and, you know, so there's a lot of guys and a lot of stuff you see. It's like, I just don't, you know, you, a lot of the core you are, um, inhabited by dudes that are, are lording that, that, select little thing as though because it happened in the past it's infinitely better and, and that's not right. nearly i mean the appeal to antiquity it's a fallacy right up that's front. right that's yeah. right and and there's there's stuff to take out of it for sure i mean my balance is much better my 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 spacing in grappling yeah. is much better my kazushi is much better um because i've challenged it with you know, it, yeah. it stick. Well, I, I think we should say at this point that we're not knocking all these things categorically, but that the problem comes, I think, and correct me if this is not what you're saying, but when people take it too seriously and get too hidebound within the system says this, and this is the only way to yeah. do it, then yeah. you lose that creativity and, and the ability to change on the fly and, and to adapt new information as it presents itself. One of the that, key words right. I noticed that he mentioned that to me, I, you know, it's Sambo, it's completely different. Um, you know, so to speak, from a lot of traditional Chinese martial arts. However, um, you, you know, you mentioned many times about principle before technique, and I, I absolutely love that. I end up, you know, I teach Northern Shaolin, far removed from Sambo. However, you know, it could be its brother as far as that goes in hand. You know, I'll teach you uh, 25 different techniques, but they're all under the same principle. And all I want you to do is understand that principle. And I think yep. that that's a key thing. And a lot of traditionalists uh, miss that because they're going for just the mimicry, like you were saying. Yeah, and that's it exactly. And you know, I think that that's a great, a great uh, you know, that's it on the head. You know, if you take um, a Kyoshi Shin guy, if you take uh, uh, a Shotokan guy, if you take a Northern Shaolin guy, if you take all these dudes and you say all we're going to do is hit and kick, all these dudes look a fucking alike. I can't tell the difference, you know, except that they're wearing different uniforms. And that's because at the end of the day, there's a one, there's the body is not infinite. It is finite and it gains mechanical advantage in only so many ways. And, and the style is what, I mean, I, I, the style is petty politics. You know, I mean, it's, it's petty, it's petty politics. It's, it's ancient racial hatreds. It's all this stuff, you know, and, and Sambo, though, it's principle-based, is definitely no exception. I mean, you know, they were trying to create a Russian identity that the Soviet states of the, the Kazakhs and the Uzbeks and the Georgians and all these different groups had one unified wrestling system that they all had access to because it had pieces of their individual skills within it. Hmm. So there was also the whole, like, we are trying to forge a country out of a bunch of old uh, little countries. Yeah, that gets into nation building. I don't... <laughs> exactly, it's, it's it's cultural propaganda. Right. And, and uh, 
so, but yeah, it's, it's all principle based. And I, and the core you guys, you know, are no different than the, you know, and a lot of the modern guys are like, well, the core you is, is outdated and blah, blah. And it's, it's never that simple. It's all this stuff has something to offer. The question is, is are you willing to do the work to figure out what it is? Not take somebody else's, what they're telling you, but actually do what it's going to take. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the Koryu is especially challenging for me because I don't do kata. Yeah. I don't fucking remember them. I, <laughs> I, can't, I don't want to remember them. I don't want to be set in. I understand what they're supposed to do. And I also understand that they are the first, they are simply a combination of the first and second stage of learning. They are, yeah. they are mechanical, they are the notes, and they are scales. Yeah. But, but it's a way for playing. illiterate people to keep track of their system. That's right. That's right. And, and, uh, but they're hard for me to remember because, um, I'm, I just, that's not the way my brain works. My brain works from a context. No, you're looking to improvise technique. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's challenging in a lot of ways. I, I enjoy it a, a lot. I, I don't, um, you know, it's one, it's nice. Cause with Ellis, we're, you know, we don't have to get all, we don't have to wear the Hakama and all that stuff all the time. It's it's just, you know, guys getting together and working on stuff and, and examining, um, you know, a physical library of some people that came before you. The other thing I like about it is it's unabashedly about killing. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no bullshit about, you know, making yourself a better human being. And right. I mean, if, if you do that along the way, that's awesome. But we're, what we, it is truly is it, it's still, especially with Ellis, it still has the feel of, you know, this was originally intended to teach low level Bushi, uh, boot camp and get them ready to go because we're going to go conk on our neighbors here in a few days, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, you know, there's not, and so it, and it does not have an aristocratic feel, which a lot of the Japanese Korea definitely do. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, you know, so anyway, I, that's, I think that yeah. and, and in that capacity, I think, um, my contribution to Budo comes from fire and, and, uh, from my, my, my experience on the job, you know, so. Fire. Awesome. Fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we, we have been, we've already chewed up uh, an hour of your valuable time. You could have been drinking or God knows what while you were <laughs> screwing around with us. Um, Dude, I, it may, it may sound like that's my disposition, but I got a seven year old and a four year old. I am on guard at all times. So they can, <laughs> take advantage of me. Yeah, no, I, no problem at all. Did you have anything else? Yeah. Well, one last thing that we ask all of our guests is, uh, you need to share, you know, maybe a fucked up or a funny, uh, training story with us. Uh, just, to put a cap on the interview. Oh man. <laughs> uh, it can be anything. Yeah, you know, there's a couple. I I remember. Uh, uh, there's been a, you know, there's the standard getting pantsed in class. You know, <laughs> your key bottoms, and, and this is prior to figuring out that you could actually wear a set, uh, shorts over a jock. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there was. Oh God. There was, yeah, there have been a couple of times, you know, grappling is clearly, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny because I go into the gym pretty much every night that I'm not at work and, and, you know, roll around and grab and throw and all this stuff. But outside of that, I really don't like people touching me that much. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, we just had a lot of fun. Oh, we had these two Polak brothers one time. And they were, <laughs> God, these guys are fucking hilarious. So they so they come in, and they're just guts and gory. You know, they it's like, look, you might want to bam, bam, bam. Okay, you know, do what you need to do, man. And they're just beating the hell out of each other. So they come in, and we're going through our warm-ups and tumbling and stuff. So we start setting up throws and doing some throwing. And this was back in when we first opened the gym, and we were in a, down in the Rainier Valley, and we were in a, this, this converted uh, loading dock that had four big bay roll-up doors. In the summer, it was awesome. Uh, yeah. Went, you know, like 25 feet wide, 70 feet long, 30-foot ceilings. I mean, it was awesome. Wow. And we'd roll the bays up. Uh, sprung floor in the whole nine yards. So these guys are practicing, and the next thing you know, they are fucking spewing their guts. And both these guys had had uh, had eaten chili before practice. <laughs> <laughs> so as they're okay, so they're hypoxic, right? They're right, breathing yeah. hard. Uh-huh. They're vomiting. So now they're getting further hypoxic, and then they both fucking take off to the shitter because. <laughs> They're fucking squeezing from both ends now, and it was just this stream of disaster. And so that that's a good one. Um, we had a lot of guys, and we just had a lot of guys doing, you, you know, just goofy shit. You know, you get guys coming in the gym, but personally, you know, there's there's been a lot. I mean, uh, I just um, ever get your oil checked. Yeah, you know, uh, no, I've never had the oil check. Though we do have, uh, we we have a technique we call the stink thumb. It's it's kind of uh, it, it is a it is one that does not get employed. We always just make reference to it with new guys. Just when you, you get the guy pinned down, and you're like, you know, I can show you a stink thumb. And you watch their face while they they're like, I can't move, and this guy, you know, uh, there was a dude that. Okay, so there was a dude in, in high school, and we were in college. We had this small workout group, and, and and we were, you know, and we were in this little shack. So these dudes are going by, and they're just making all their, you know, karate noises and stuff. And so I, I thought, right. I don't know. Is that like, more come on in here? <laughs> so they come in, and they're a guy and all his buddies. And we're like, we'll, we'll have a go, you know. That's all right. We'll have a go. It'll be friendly. No one will kill each other. This guy's all, you know, at this point, he's getting a little bit nervous because I just called his bluff. And, uh, I said, but I want you to know, when you wake up, I'm going to fucking have my tongue in your ear. And, so, uh, <laughs> so when, and his buddies are all hooting and hollering. So we start going, I take him down, and I choke him out. And then I, so then I take my thumb and, you know, lick it and just get his ear really fucking wet. And I've got back control on him. So when he comes to, he realizes his ear is wet. And his buddies are just howling. <laughs> and this guy, I've never seen a dude take off so fast. He was out of there. And I, I know for a fact that for all night, you know, the, the thing that made me the most confident is because his buddies weren't letting on. And they were saying it. Yeah. So all night, you know, he's just wondering how many ways I abused him. <laughs> that, was, that was pleasant. Yeah, but, you know, Excellent. just personally... I think that the the the, uh, the funniest stories always come. Uh, oh man, you know, you, you, you just that you guys all know. You just never judge a book by its cover. And right. so oh, yeah. here, I was, I was young and stupid, and I was working out in college. And I went over to the judo club, and I was working with this guy named Ralph. <laughs> and Ralph, at the time, I just worked with Ralph again a couple uh, about a year ago. Uh, and, and I told him this story and, and he didn't recall it, but, uh, but I recall it. So 
what happens is, is Ralph comes in, and, and what I found out was that Ralph had been doing judo forever, and at the time he was, oh, he was in his 60s. And he's a very unassuming dude, just a smiley, happy face. And he'd practiced judo in, the, in Japan in the 50s and 60s. So he was there at some of the big gyms in, in, uh, when he was, you know, and he was in that whole era where they would, they would beat the hell out of him. So, right. And anyway, he, he comes up to me, and I'm, you know, 23 or 24 and just stupid. I mean, like, didn't know how to practice. Didn't, you know, I was just... I was there, you know, a lot of the guys, the, the, the tendencies that I was talking about early was, you know, stuff that I had went through. Oh, yeah. Individual. Young and dumb is redundant, but we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm like, you know, and he's like, all right, well, hey, you know, and he comes up and he's like, yeah, I'll practice. Uh, you know, but this is just practice. Let's just go light. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So we start going light and bam, he hits me. And I'm like, oh, oh, wait a minute. All right, fuck this, you know. Bam, he hits me. I'm like, this fucking old man is fooling me. <laughs> same fucking throw over and over. Hanegoshi. Bam, bam, bam. So we're about three or four feet times in, and finally the coach says, all right, time for Navalas. And I'm like, okay, old man, now you're in my world. Now now we're going to my strength. Uh, you know, I, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to even this score a little bit. And that, you know, that's the big take home evening the score in practice. So mm-hmm. um, so we go down there and we start fucking rolling around. And the next thing I know, I am getting li- the shit choked out of me. <laughs> and he leans in while he's choking me and he says, can we practice now? <laughs> <laughs> and I stood up and I was like, yes, sir. You know? <laughs> and so I learned my Hanegoshi from him. And awesome. then when I got a chance to work with John Blooming, um, oh, yeah, big I, you know, who is one of my personal coaches, uh, he, we've worked together a couple of times and, and John and I have a pretty good relationship. I mean, unfortunately he's, I just talked to him the other day via email. He's, he's, he's not traveling much anymore. He's, you know, he's getting up there, but, yeah. um, you know, another guy that, that, you know, let me know that it's okay to be me, that I don't have to fit some mold of what, you know, your, your Budoka is supposed to be. And, um, and, you know, people have, there's a lot of stories about John out there. I, I'm sure most of them are true, but I find him, I found him to be as sincere and honest. And, and, uh, if you're a fuck stick and he beats you up, you probably had it coming. You know? yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we all do things like you guys just said that, uh, you know, when we're young, that maybe as, a, as we grow older, we regret. And the, the question is, are we able to recognize them and admit them? And John admits, you know, things that he would do different and mistakes that he's made. And to me, that's, that's, that's it. That's the essence of a person. So yeah. anyway, he, he refined my Hane, my Hane Goshi. He, he added some stuff to it and, you know, n- not changed it, but showed me some other options. And, and so, you know, the full circle of the story is, is I went up, um, I went up, to to the Bellingham and and was up there doing some fire stuff and stopped in at that judo that judo school and I'm still friends with the the head coach he's a great guy Mark Glazier and uh, I stopped in and called him and he's like yeah come on in so I go in and there's Ralph and Ralph's now in his seventies you know and um he, and he looks looks damn near the same and you know so I pull him aside and I'm like you know I owe one of my biggest biggest lessons. Uh, 
in this sport that translates to the translated the rest of my life to you. And he's like, Oh really? And you know, he's very humble and, you know, unassuming. And, and I told him the story and he goes, I, I don't remember that. And he's like, but he laughs and he chuckles and he goes, you know, this is a university club that's open to the public. And he's like, I'm used to it. <laughs> and, and I kind of looked at him, you know, and it was this moment of, you know, just recognition. And it, it the, the whole conversation ended with, Hey Ralph, can we practice? And, <laughs> you know, and that was it. And I, and, you know, so it was kind of this full circle over the course of 15 years, you know, and, um, yeah. well, and it was pretty, it was pretty cool, but that was a big life lesson. That was a big lesson on practice. And, and one of the moments that I can look back and say, okay, that was a hinge where I began that direction towards knowing how to practice and, and removing, you know, what we're supposed to do in Budo. You know, I said what I like about Araki is it's all, it's just about killing the dude and, and that's the focus. And I think that if the focus is the other stuff, you never get it. If the focus is success, you might learn the other stuff. And for me, I've learned that kind of like, it's time how to let go and not have it associated with the identity and your self-worth and, and all that, yeah. that stuff that comes with being a young man. Put your you ego know? in the right place. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was fucking, it was, I mean, I still think back and laugh and say, God, the people that were watching must have just had, um, had a, you know, had I bet a, some of them had already been through that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they had, you know, I'm sure they had. And, and, and Ralph is still up there practicing. He's doing different throws these days. He, he jokes that his body's too old for some of the ones he was doing, but he's still up there practicing. He's, he's in his gotta be late seventies. So when I'm practiced with him, he must've been closer to 60, but, uh, you know, it, it, it you know, it's, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's awesome, man. It's, it's That's, been a good, it's been a good thing. So. That's a great story. Well, look, yeah. we got to let you go, but quickly give us your future plans, uh, any events you might be doing, any contact info you want to get out there so people about uh, martial arts, sambo, uh, firefighting, anything we've talked about. Yeah, you know, um, the uh, the club is – we're in Seattle. We are one of the longer operating continuous grappling gyms other than a couple of the really big famous uh, judo schools, the Budokan and the Seattle Dojo, which is mm. the oldest school in the country. Um, the, oh, wow. We have, a, you know, our website is uh, Seattle-Jiu-Jitsu, J-U-J-U-T-S-U, and we also have uh, C-Town Sambo. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the, I don't make anything from the gym. It's, it's purely uh, supports itself. And then a couple times a year, we kick in some of our extra to charities. We've got a lot of guys. Uh, it's, it's a good, good community to work out with. Um, as far as fire and stuff, the, the class that I teach is called the nozzle forward. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's about it. But if, if you web, web search, you know, we, we pop up, uh, as far as future plans, you know, um, I feel like I'm doing all right. Uh, and we're, we're hoping to, to grow Sambo in the Pacific Northwest. We've got some guys in Portland. We've got some guys in San Francisco, some a little bit of talk up in Vancouver. So our next big step is going to be developing an, uh, a referee cadre, and that's going to be new for me because mm. I've never refed. And then we're going to start – there's been some interest with some of the local Brazilian tournaments as well as uh, perhaps some of the judo stuff to throw some joint uh, uh, we'll do some seminars and then throw some joint tournaments to try yeah. to, to give our guys, you know, that, that, that'll let it dovetail. Uh, 
And then, you know, every year, the, the American Ensemble Association, this year is going to be in Chicago in October. We have an annual training camp that has been a really good success. It's a great time, um, and it's an opportunity for grapplers to come in and, and kind of learn some of the approaches and things like that. And then other than that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's all about just getting to practice you know, right? Yeah. I mean, getting yeah. to practice every day and, and continuing to just to work on it. So it sounds like you found the sweet spot. Yeah, I've, I think we have. You know, it's this kind of nice balance between the the hustle and the glitz of uh, the commercial aspect, and we definitely fall more into the grassroots aspect, and and have grown ourselves we can without relate. compromise. We can relate, at least to the extent that we're poor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? They, they say it doesn't matter. You know, who, who knows? As long yeah. as you're, you're putting food on the table, and, and uh, it, it all works out, I think. Exactly. Well, hi, y'all listeners. We're going to have links to all the things he's mentioned up there and a lot of other stuff, too, uh, in the show notes. And uh, Aaron, we really want to thank you for coming on. That was uh, that was a really good interview. We we learned a lot. We had a lot oh, yeah. of fun with Indeed. it, and we hope someday you'll talk with us again. Oh yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, you know. And and I'll say I'll say this for any of you guys and 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 you know, if folks out there are interested. You know, if you're in Seattle, just give me a call, and and you're always welcome to. You three are always welcome to come in and, and work out on the mat, even if you just want to. You know, even if grappling's not your main thing, you want to come in and see some of what we're doing, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to host you. No problems. Well, I've had right. exactly 10 classes of Schweijow at this point, so I'm going to come in there and mop you all up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know the Chinese aren't very good grapplers. I'll just say that. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, I'm on my way right now, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, hopefully we can take you up on that soon. Yeah, absolutely. That and would it, be a blast. Uh, you know, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And, you know, anytime... If there's ever a low point, you need another another hour of bad language and bad puns. Let me know. Awesome. All right. Well, we would love to have you on. to you live from the bowels of our newsroom in the wait a second judy chop craig oh dear he got me with the judy chop right off the <laughs> you bat. weren't expecting that were no, you? I was not. no uh-huh. i was not well do you know savat right the french right martial art there practitioners you have male practitioners and french practitioners they're not just savatis but no a male practitioner is a saboteur and a female is a saboteuse Nice. Oh, nice. Judy not a Savatrix. Savatus. I got one of those down at the uh, strip mall the other day. Did you? Did that yeah. cost extra? Oh, you know they do. They could be missing it. I <laughs> but they're totally worth it. it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Sorry about that, but That's on right. with the news, Craig. It's time for our news segment. Okay, Mr. Sneaky Bastard. All right, for those of you who are not traditional Chinese martial arts practitioners, um, forgive me here for a minute because we're getting really kung fu-y here for a moment. And those of you who are know what I'm talking about. An unfortunate living legend is no longer living in the world of kung fu. 
Lam Joe, the grandmaster of Hungar, Tiger Crane's system, has recently passed away. Uh, March 29th, approximately 2 p.m., Hong Kong Baptist Hospital. Uh, he went peacefully by natural causes. Uh, Lam Joe was the grandmaster of Hungar, um, also known as Hong Kyun, uh, Hong Jia Quan. Uh, literally means kind of Hong family martial art. It's a Southern Shaolin based art. Um, hugely popular. Lum Joe was born in 1910, just died this past year, um, as I mentioned, was a student uh, and adopted son of Lam Sai Wing, who was the top student of a name I'm sure most of you guys know, Wong, Wong Fei Hung. Yes. Dum, dum, that song, dum, you know, dum, you hear dum, it, dum, all the dum. tournaments <laughs> played out, all that kind of stuff. Um, yep. But, you know, we joke, but he really was a living legend. Uh, he helped uh, shape Hungar literally when it comes to curriculum and content of the system. Um, he added uh, a lot of weaponry. He added uh, some two-man forms, very specifically the Tiger Crane two-man form. Um, you know, the guy started training when he was about six years old. Um, from Lam Sai Wing, uh, after his, his parents died, you know, Lam Sai Wing brought him into his, his home and into his family and, and began training him not only in Hungar, uh, but also in Dit Da, in uh, medicine, you know, uh, Dit Da from Dit Da Jiao, hit medicine, you know, as well as bone setting and things like that. And just 10 years later, there's that 10-year that training period that kind of always creeps out with traditional Chinese martial arts. At age 16, he began teaching. Um, and during the uh, the wars, the Japanese invasion, World War II, all that good stuff, uh, you know, you you've always hear about the uh, what was it Pochi Lam, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and it, his his kind of his doctoral clinic where he would help. And during the wars, um, he was out there treating and uh, injuries, helping people out, uh, regardless of cost, you know. Um, helping train them, not just give them medicine, send them on their way, but train them on kind of how to keep themselves uh, healthy, you know, diet, nutrition, all that good stuff. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge loss, to be honest with you, um, to the world. Uh, granted, it is, but he was, uh, he was 100 and what years old? Uh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't exactly I think it was 101 know. or 102. I mean, he had broken 100 years old. No doubt. And up in, even you know, until the, the very last days, he was still running his, um, not so much his Kung Fu school, but actually his clinic. He was taking on patients in a very lively way well into his 90s. And uh, he actually folded his hands or, or officially accepting new students about 20 years ago. But he had um, you know, his senior-most son, his older, oldest son, um, and his youngest son were both teaching. Um, at the same time, uh, and they, you know, both run their own schools and, and torch is going to be passed, uh, to the older fellow and all this good stuff. Um, but he's been going and, and, and going for, for quite a long time and has influenced a lot of lives. <clears throat> Excuse me. For those of you who are interested, but you know, I don't want to go into too much detail. I'm not a, uh, a Hungar practitioner. I've done some, um, you know, and I, and I love it, but, uh, there's other people out there with more details, but just to share the important bits, um, his funeral will be held uh, April 25th um, at, uh, from 4 o'clock to 10 o'clock at 10 Shenghang Road, uh, Hongham Kowloon, Universal Hall. 
um, at the Universal Parlor Company. The very next day at 10 o'clock in the morning is the encoughing service. Um, so there you have it. All those Hungar practitioners, all his friends and family, you have my most sincere condolences. Um, you know, it's, it's And from all of us here at Haya. Absolutely. Indeed. 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 Um, moving on to less grim uh, news topics. Awesome. I prefer those. Do you? Yeah. I, 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 again, sad for his passing, but I don't think it's grim. I think it's a triumph when someone lives to be past 100 and does that much with a lifetime. So I'm with you on that. Kind I of you celebrate know, the life rather than the, you know. Absolutely. Just a short note here in the news segment. It's not really martial arts related either, but Dr. Yeah. Denmark died recently too, who was a pediatrician here in Atlanta. She was ah, the oldest, oldest practicing doctor, oldest practicing physician. She retired at 103 years old. From wow. She lived on her own until she was 108 and just died as the fourth oldest person in the world at 114. Wow. Very That's cool. just something else right and, there. And uh, you know what? I'm not sad about that at all. I'm like, you go, girl. You beat the odds on <laughs> every front. And you did a ton of good. Think of all the children she helped. Wonderful. But, you know, with Lum Joe, it's the same thing. A full life like that, that's all you can ask for. Indeed. Indeed. So. Well, Marshall Tournament. Not. That's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Marshall Tournament is the name of a new movie, actually. Um, an African movie, uh, specifically uh, released recently in Benguela City, Angola, Africa, hmm. um, tells the story of a man who holds illegal martial arts tournaments with harsh rules. And unfortunately, that's about all I have for that uh, news item. I've kind of been searching, searching, um, but that's that's all we got so far. But you can expect, you know, there's going to be some. More details coming out in the future, yeah. and hopefully something we can review. Well, you know, if it slips on a Netflix, which it probably will. <laughs> oh, I spoke the name. You did, you did. Oh well, what oh, the hell? Everybody oh, knows what I'm talking about. That's right. We'll yeah. just have to we'll have to hit him with yeah. the uh, with the back yeah. pay. Yeah, we'll send him a bill. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but we'll bring that up. I'm kind of looking. It's uh, I'm kind of uh, African Kumite somehow appeals to me. Just you know. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Craig's Wasn't that remote. like apartheid or something? I, I, I <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not going. This this is not that kind of podcast. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> not sure what kind of podcast. Well, we, we are, started but we off with some, that. you know, some kind of bad news and went, uh, you know, temperate <laughs> there. And now we're going to end on a good new, note with the news, if you would. Um, so we got some jewel thieves or wannabe jewel thieves up in Lower Manhattan recently, uh, who you know. Already had a Jaguar. Well, they you know, kind of stole that too, but they had this Jaguar. They're escaping with all these jewels, and cops are coming after them. They're, they're Wait, running. they had the car or a cat? You know, I didn't check oh, okay. on that, but I imagine. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I was fleeing with jewels, I, I might stuff them in a Jaguar and be like, come on, get them. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, but as as uh, criminals usually are, these were morons, and uh, so they crash the Jag, decide they'd better exit the vehicle and begin to run. So they completely scatter, obviously had no second plan. One of the geniuses decides to duck into a building, right? He thinks it's going to shake him. And this building happens to be New York Jiu-Jitsu Training School. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty genius there. So, so the guy tears off from the front door straight to the bathroom. The people, a class is going on, and needless to say, there's an um, a 
plainclothes cop who happens to be in the class watching this go down, and he hears a, a, a rapid flushing in the toilet. So literally, <laughs> of course, once the guy opens the door, yeah, he's taken out. But uh, or rather taken down, as you might do in a jitsu class. Yep. And that's the news. No, no, nothing gives away ditching the stuff. Like, like flushing the, toilet. the toilet. Yeah, I'm going to ruin it. And, flush <laughs> and then the flushing flush. the toilet again. And then flushing the toilet again. Everybody knows you eat it. Right? Right. <laughs> oh. Obviously, their jewel jitsu just wasn't up to par. Nice. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. That was a Douglasism right there. <laughs> My hat's off to you, sir. That was yeah. good stuff. Okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> Douglas. Uh, Judy Chop. Oh, Boom. well. I was thinking about uh, among the different styles I've trained in, I, I still consider myself very much uh following kung fu and tai chi but i trained for a while in a style uh that was just described to me as palavani uh perry it goes under some other names uh varseshi palavani and i know i'm going to mispronounce this but varseshi bestani or, or something along those lines at I'm least not, you're trying i'm trying <laughs> i don't even try <laughs> not quite so up on my yeah. farsi uh, assuming that is farsi anyway uh, it's an Iranian wrestling style. It's very traditional. It's tied into Sufism, which is Islamic mysticism, some other things. It's not necessarily a religious style, but if any of you are familiar with uh, the poetry of Jalaluddin Rumi or of the Whirling Dervishes, mm. there's even a move in it called the Whirling Dervish. Cool. But the fact I wanted to share uh, is a statement, a principle that goes through Palavani. Uh, they have this quote, and I think it's a good one. Learn modesty if you desire knowledge. A highland would never be irrigated by a river. That was very Dao De Chingy. Oh, wow, yeah. check that out. <laughs> we'll have to put Hi-ya. some soothing music underneath that, Hi-ya. too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Undulating waves. All right, good job with the duty chop there. Thank no you. doubt. All right, You've had on your duty the... chop cherry burst. So <laughs> yeah. we, have, we, have taken, we have taken your... <laughs> Yeah, All right. How did, how did you like your first time? Ah, oh, it was wonderful. Well, we are going to move along to the media mop-up, folks. Media mop-up. Okay, so... Ah, perfect. Hey, Dave. Dave. Judy Chop. Ah! <laughs> Come right in when I'm going to... Filthy <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Judy chopped me. All right. Um, the longest sword ever actually made for combat. Mm. The longest real sword ever made, at least to my knowledge and the best I can find on the internet, is almost 76 inches in length. Is the Japanese Odachi, called the Kashiwa Tachi. Kashiwa Tachi. A.K.A. The Yamagane Tsukuri Kush- Oh, hell. <laughs> Dave is AKA a another Japanese, Japanese oh, <laughs> professional here. Uh, but, uh, yes. Uh, that was really all. I was just curious as to what the longest damn sword ever made for <laughs> Oh, this being was, a Bogwa uh, person never could have seen that coming. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, now, there are Bogwa Dao that run nearly that length, but most people agree that they weren't really intended for no. uh, for training. real use. Yeah, they're training implements. 
something. But okay. Look at this big fucking thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's your brief Judy chop for today from me. Very nice. Now back to what I was doing. (laughs) Mejor película. Sevino suicidal. Es un círculo vicioso. Una vez que te metes, no vas a poder salir. El cíclope. ¿Dónde lo encuentro? Eso solo lo sabe la hija del cíclope. Marcos Azor. Hot chick alert. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Have you heard about the technique, baby? <laughs> She would appreciate that long sword. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you'd like that, Greg. <laughs> so this is what? Uh, Mandril. Oh, yeah. It's a love story. <laughs> Until... There was a murder. His family was killed. Yeah. Okay. Now you see why I'm yeah. this on. <laughs> You would not guess it. <laughs> that was pretty nice. Mandril. See, at first I thought you were Hong just Kong into like comes a... to South America. Looks like there, man. You got you had some John Woo. You had some Wushu. Oh, yeah, that was totally yeah, yeah, yeah. Wushu booty too. That was nice. At, at first I thought you were just you were just in the mood for like a Mexican James Bond or something like that. Well, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to spread these around uh, globally, uh, nationally, or by country. You know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot out there that's not just Chinese or Japanese exactly. martial arts. We had a little capoeira, and we got some other stuff in. So this thing, well, look, it's not a super straight-up uh, martial arts film. What it is is kind of a spoof of 70s movies. It's almost a movie within a movie, mm. if you follow me. The, the main story is this guy, Mandril. He is a very <laughs> suave and cool assassin. And, <laughs> and the modern part of it is shot with a lot of nods to 70s sort right. of exploitation films. Which I, but, I dig on, by the yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get a, that from his suit. That was a flashy suit, by the yeah, way. Like a black dynamite, but south of the Kind of. Not mm-hmm. quite that uh, tongue-in-cheek. Right. But within this movie, there's the movie that inspired him to be that way, oh. which is which is a total cheeseball 70s, you know, of course, <laughs> done Latin, uh, South American style. Uh, right. You know, the guy that sh- gets all the ladies and shoots all the bad guys and does hi-yah, Judy Chops on everybody. Mm, yeah. So that's this guy's inspiration, and it comes up. And there's actually a couple of cool storylines in here. Hmm. Uh one, the whole love interest you saw, of course, turned sour because he finds out the love interest is also is the, the daughter of no, the daughter of the man who killed his father. Oh. Oh. So he's playing her nice. to get in there, but he's falling in love at the same time. You know what right. can I do? Um, but uh, there's uh, there's also this story about him just growing up and his parents were dead, so he's got this uncle who's not a kung fu master. 
He's just super suave with the ladies. Yeah. So he's practicing and watching this movie, and he's got posters. It's just kind of a Bruce Lee thing you know, as well to become this assassin later in life. But at the same time, he's got you know three left feet when it comes to girls. Yeah. So instead of watching training sequences of him learning kung fu, you watch training sequences where he learns how to suave the ladies. Hey, there you go. Hey, that is kung fu. What and you talking about, brother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all, it's all done. I mean, if... It's it's a pretty interesting style. Now, if you're not into indie films and you come into this expecting just straight up blockbuster Hollywood, action, right? then you're going to be disappointed uh, with a lot of it. So have an open mind. You but know, to be honest, though, if you're into Hollywood, just straight up Hollywood action, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed with several of the movies. Yeah, you're probably about. not even listening to this damn podcast. <laughs> 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 but where the action pops up, you know what? It's pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to see more of it because they did a few creative things. A lot of it's a lot of high kicking, you know. Yeah, it didn't seem so uh, gritty, close range, you know, realistic, but it was awesome choreography. Fucking beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's all. yeah. No, they they set some things up really nicely in there. So, you know, that element is in there and it's strong enough to make this a definite high off film. Hiya. So this was made in uh, Peru, which is unusual. And uh, it's got a feel and a vibe and some martial arts in it that I think, you know, the kind of person that does listen to this podcast might just enjoy. So, folks, get out there and check out Mandrill. And no, we're not talking about a crazy looking monkey. We're talking about Marco Zauror. Nor, nor, nor are we talking about a, a, a sex toy. Mm. Mandrill. <laughs> I went there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like he just Judy chopped That's the hell right. out of you. <laughs> Bam. All right, we'll put some batteries in that, and uh, that's your media mop-up for this week, but what I'm going to tell you here, and you won't hear it until it's too late, but when you do hear it, you should refer back to it. I know, it's it's part of this crazy time warp thing that happens when we we record a podcast and then release it two weeks later, as we're recording the next one. But, yeah, it's a whole bi-weekly bi-monthly discussion we're we very bi-curious time. here but what i'm going to do and watch for this on the show notes we'll start with episode five which is going up tomorrow mm-hmm. from our date here i'm going to put or have uh, craig put at the bottom of the show notes the movie that's coming up next time so if you want to get ahead episode of the game seven you want to watch the movie or at least check the trailer out before it comes up you can look for the movie that'll be in episode seven to be announced at the bottom of episode five. So just keep up with that in future, and uh, you can participate with us and even send us your opinions on it before we talk about it. That's that's sending your opinions to uh, mailbag at, at com. And something that might be coming down the road uh, in the future are uh, perhaps contests that uh, the winners will be announced kind of during the recording of the show. So definitely be sure to... Watch yeah. as much as, of that as you can beforehand. And the next media mop-up should be a lot of fun because it's going to be The Raid. I got a hall pass from the wife to get out and see a movie on a weeknight, so... <laughs> what? We're going to get out and watch me some Raid. That's all right. And from yeah. everything I've heard, that is going to be... Uh, <laughs> and that, we the, spoke about that, I think it was last Yeah, we we mentioned it a little yeah. bit, so you'll hear more about that next time. It's been a long show, but a great one. We really enjoyed our interview, uh, but before we wrap everything up, Let's go ahead and get the quote of the episode, or quat, as it's written on the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer from, a good quat. Come quat. From our lizard-lipped, dulcet-toned Craig Keesling. Steady as a nail, cocked like a bow, turns like a wheel, fast as the wind, 
light as a leaf, heavy as a metal iron, moves like a wave and quiet as a mountain. It's a northern Shaolin training maxim that can be used in kind of... <laughs> 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 I didn't know, I was just soothed. Soothing. I took a trip to Fantasy Mountain. I was thinking about Maxim Magazine when you said that. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. We've been on the mics too long tonight, folks. <sighs> I'd like to thank our guest. Uh, he, that was a, Aaron Fields was just a great interview, and hopefully we'll Definitely. talk to him again soon. But that was a load of good stuff we got from Enjoyed him. Enjoyed it immensely. Love you, guys. Yes, that, was, yes. that was great. Absolutely. Uh, remember, you can contact us about anything at mailbag at Uh We've started getting a little listener input, so we know you're out there, and uh, we will respond uh, in whatever way coming, we see though. fit. Yeah, keep it coming. Let us know what you like, what you don't, uh, and look for some new features coming up soon in the show. Of course, um, we, we've got the Facebook, obviously. You know, oh, the, the Facebook, Facebook is up. Uh, uh, yes. Like us there. Yep. Uh, what is it? Podcast, I think it is. You can just search within Facebook, and, and you'll see it pop up. But yeah. yeah. Hi, y'all with two A's will get you to us from pretty much anywhere, but we've Indeed. got the Facebook page. And, and don't forget, of course, to... Subscribe to the show via iTunes or any other number of podcatchers and RSS. Whatever podcatching device you and, prefer. Uh, rate and reviews, of course. Would now, be that's, nice. we still don't have a review on iTunes. We do. Folks. Need it makes it. me sad inside. Yep. So, you guys are going to need to get out there and do that, or we're sending the ninjas to climb the wall at your house. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Hiya. All right. Well, thanks to Doug for coming by, too. And thank thank you very much for having us. It's been a blast. All right. Well, if that's uh, all everybody has to say, I think we should all join in a rousing course of... Hi-ya! Hi-ya!